Thanks for tuning in to Game of Microphones. If you'd like to help us keep the torch lit through the long night, you can add fuel to the fire by going to gameofmicrophones.com and clicking our Amazon link at the bottom of the page. It's the same low prices for you, and Game of Microphones gets a little finder's fee from Amazon for sending you their way. You can also become a patron of Game of Microphones at patreon.com slash gompodcast or at paypal.me slash gompodcast. And links to both of those are at gameofmicrophones.com. Enjoy the show. Have they told you who I am? Some dead man. I am the brother of Elia Martel. And do you know why I've come all the way to this stinking shit pile of a city? For you? I'm going to hear you confess before you die. You raped my sister. You murdered her. You killed her children. Say it now and we can make this quick. Seven blessings, vipers and giants, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan of Parts Unknown. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, Queen of IT Issues. And joining us today is (laughs) Sir Johnny of House Stitches, Archmaester Stitches from the Luminescent Citadel on the Siren Isle. What's up, everybody? What's up? Glad to be back. Glad to be back. Welcome back, man. Good to have you here. I am stoked. And for such a great episode, too, right? I know you wanted to jump on for this episode specifically, didn't you? Oh, definitely. Uh, I think I've rewatched this like five times since I asked. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, this is one of my favorites of all time, too. Yeah. It's oh. a good one. <laughs> yep. This is episode 80. On this episode of our series rewatch, we are covering Game of Thrones season four, episode eight, The Mountain and the Viper. And in case you're not already aware, this series rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season seven. If not, there's still time to get crushed like a beetle. Coo, 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 coo. Coo. <laughs> so you don't have to hear these spoilers. <laughs> Warning. awesome oh hell yeah oh this episode is explosive you could say yeah oh that's putting it lightly like this i say we let johnny start since he's our guest of honor today oh all right i love the love and i feel it so uh of course speaking of love my we're doing number top threes, right? Yes. My top my top three would uh have to start off with I you would think I'd make it number one, and I know Duncan's gonna make jokes at me. But uh <laughs> I have as my third Egret the Merciful. Ah, nice. <laughs> Egret saves baby Sam and Gilly. 
from the other wildlings, the fins, and uh, a horrible bleeding from the Ruth uh, fate, like Gilly witnesses when the blood's like dropping down right when she walks away. How brutal it's is a, that, right? I just love that because yeah. it's she in that moment, this this redheaded goddess just saved her. And <laughs> and uh, she's like, you know, sets it's in like, oh, that wildling didn't kill me. And then she walks away and looks up and it's like, oh, God, that's what would have happened. Like, I mean, there's blood dripping from the ceiling at that moment. So yeah. it just like confirms how lucky she was in this moment yeah and the uh, the moment when when egret tells her you know gives her the shh was kind of foreshadowed a little while earlier actually just a few seconds earlier by the belching whore who <laughs> who tells her you know your baby's been you know being loud and crying and keeping me awake make sure it's quiet you know keep it quiet in the future and then just a few seconds later they're getting raided and it's it's you know sh- the little little sam is crying and she really needs to keep him quiet <laughs> so it's just kind of funny. But, I mean, and and that possibly saved her because, I mean, you think about it. What if she didn't see it or hear the baby and one of the Thins or somebody else would have, like, walked in? Yeah, totally. Know? But I'm sure a grip might have been, we didn't see it on camera, but, like, I already been down there. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. <laughs> Don't worry. I already looked in there. There's nothing. You know? <laughs> exactly. So. Exactly. Do you think maybe Egret maybe kind of could tell Gilly might have been a wildling. I mean, I I know that she, the obvious reason is that she's holding a brand new baby, which is probably why most people would think that Egret did not kill Gilly at that moment. But do you think maybe she had like a twinge of like, huh, you don't look like a Southerner. Yeah, you know? maybe based on the clothes that she was wearing or something. Yeah, yeah or the, maybe just the, the mannerisms, like why wasn't when she opened that thing going, oh, <laughs> you know, right, she's just right. kind of like, man, I've been like raped by Craster. I'm, I'm good. Oh, just leave Jesus. me alone. Yeah, she was very quiet, just like looking <laughs> at her. Like, what are you gonna do? Yeah, totally. I love that blood dripping from the ceiling. It's a total horror movie moment as she's oh yeah leans back and she's clutching her babe to her chest and the blood's just dripping through all these different floorboards. It's not like an isolated drip. It's dripping from all the gaps and the cracks between these boards. And it's a lot of blood too. Like, you know, we started this episode and ended it uh, with a lot of blood, heavy blood so, flow. So while we're, while we're speaking of Egret the Merciful, I got a note <laughs> later on down, but I'll go ahead and bring it up now. Because you brought up the uh, the 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 winch or the whore or whatever she <laughs> the is. belching whore, uh, the nasty hoe. Uh, and yeah. I tried I I tried looking her up to see like what what else has this person done? And apparently she's uh, unaccredited. Whoa, that's weird. Like, yeah, I mean I might be wrong on that. Hopefully you guys can let me know. Uh, I did find somebody on IMDb and it says a uh, tavern whore, and then there was uh, I can't remember because I don't have it right in front of me, but uh, one of them was like the tavern madam. But when you can see who the tavern madam is, because she has a photo on She's IMDb, the one with the black and then when you look her up, it's like it's one of the other women that just get killed in the scene. Oh so, man! It might have been the other girl at the table uh, from the beginning. I'm not sure. But my favorite thing from that lady is you got a hangnail for a cock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then she's just this total bitch, and then she just gets her justice by you know the this ugly horrid whore gets her justice by this like warrior goddess i just think it's a great scene yeah it's it's amazing Definitely serving of the three they made her as a 
as gross as possible too because <laughs> after she you know gets up and goes through her her hangnail cock uh, monologue she starts walking out towards the other room and she's like like licking like her gums yeah. you know like <laughs> so, as, if, as if belching the bear and the maiden fair wasn't like <laughs> bad enough from the get-go she just like manages like each frame it gets worse <laughs> she's nasty would it be weird if i said i'm strangely attracted to her <laughs> oh god <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not gonna lie one of the reasons i looked her up i was like i gotta see this person like in real life cleaned up. <laughs> yeah. like yeah because you know i mean like gilly for instance they like do this like extra work to make this girl look homely yeah. on the show and she doesn't look like that at all totally you know? and no she's uh, really pretty in real life gorgeous in real life yeah but that was my number three i think that nasty whore is she's it would take a lot of work to get her to look that nasty <laughs> <laughs> so we've got shay the annoying whore and uh <laughs> now we have a nasty whore cersei's <laughs> yeah. a bitchy whore <laughs> oh yeah um oh, anybody else want to add anything about this scene or anything else you want to add johnny no, I'm good. I'm that's I could go on like for four hours about Egret. <laughs> fortunately, she belongs to Jon Snow now, so uh, whatever. The bastard. How about you, Rachel? Yeah. What do you want to say? So, I do love when Gilly is ignoring the nasty horror, you know, bitching about Sam waking her up, and she hears the owl call. Yeah, and she knows instantly she's like, shut up. <laughs> like, Uh-oh. And she's like, what would you, would you say to me? And she's like, she knows that it's some type of like raid call. Cause she goes and hides pretty quickly after that. She's like, it's just a fucking owl. She's like, no, it's not. It's not an owl. And so that's, I mean, she pretty much goes and hides almost instantly after she hears the owl call. And I did find it really surprising. Like the wildlings, they just showed absolutely no mercy like they were even just slaughtering the women in there like yeah it's one thing to go after the men of the night's watch but everyone was everyone was a target the uh nasty belching horror when she comes out swinging her blade to attack Igrit, she always reminds me of a pirate she's like wearing a bandana or something and she's Arr. like you know coming through <laughs> there's also a great shot when it goes outside to the beginning of attack of the attack there's a guy kind of walking along and he walks up to the um the well there and the camera pans down into the well and he's all alone when he walks up but the second that the camera gets down that far stir reaches around from behind and slits his throat and it just uh, the way they shot it he just comes out of nowhere so it makes the wildlings look really stealth and i thought they did a yeah. good job with that shot it's very very well done i always remember it you know so yeah well, my big thing was what happened off camera from her like beating her up about the baby to shh, you hear that to the next time we see her is like charging a grit. Like, right. I mean, did I guess I guess off camera unless I don't remember us seeing it. Does I don't remember seeing the 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 filthy one like rush out of there like <laughs> the full filthy speed. one. So I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's like what made her. I mean, if she did like hear all that commotion and it made yeah, her rush that's out, what I bet ma- makes her rush right back into that same area where she was. It's just, I don't know. I, I mean, not trying to get all conspiracy theory about it. I was like, <laughs> I wonder if like once she saw those people like eating it, was she going to, was she there to try to attack a Gret because she saw a Gret go in there or was she just going to go back and like off this wildling or something? I don't know. Good question. I just don't trust that lady at all. I know what it is. The water in that well turned the frogs gay. Turn the freaking frogs gay. <laughs> I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the freaking frogs gay. Do you understand that? Turn the freaking frogs <laughs> 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 
I love that. Uh, I love the remix of that. Oh, yeah. So many good ones. So, yeah, let's uh, move on to uh, your number three. Rachel, what do you got? So, my number three is kind of two scenes combined. It's cool. the interrogation of the teacher and the student. And I know a couple episodes ago I talked about, I think it was the episode after Joffrey's death, um, that uh, Littlefinger was the teacher and Sansa was the student. But in this episode, I really feel like Sansa is the teacher and Littlefinger is the student. Nice. And we start with Baelish's interrogation. He realizes pretty quickly that he does not have very many powerful friends here. He can't yeah. kind of get out of this situation. He's sitting there, like, hands folded in his lap, looking like he's about ready to get swatted. And He's defeated. You know, I found it kind of interesting because Lord Royce, at the beginning of this, you know, whole this whole scene is he goes, you have foreign blood, don't you Baelish? And he mm. goes, my great grandfather was from Bravos. Mm. And I thought that was kind of interesting because we know that he was for a long time, master of coin and oh. Bravos is where the iron bank is. So it just gave me kind of a little bit of a, you know, connection that maybe Baelish. Cause I mean, I know that he, has been known to pull money out of nowhere like especially in the first season that was kind of made known that Baelish just finds the money so maybe he still has connections in bravos from his old yeah. like old family friends or something yeah so we we kind of get lord royce who's kind of a boob as well we've we've had a lot of mm -hmm. boobs in this show <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you're a money lender, you're a whoremonger, you've been licking Tywin Lannister's boots so long it's a wonder your tongue's not black. Yeah, choice sure. words for Baelish. And just well, just for the record, there's a couple other boobs in this episode that I like better than uh, Lord Rice. Yeah, <laughs> I even like those boobs. <laughs> um, I'm just going to duck under the water. <laughs> I'm just going to sink down in shame. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'd poke my yeah. head back up. So, you know, they, they keep going on and, you know, talking about Lady uh, Lysa Aaron and, you know, I love that Baelish goes, yeah, she and I have always been close and I don't know the old lady's name. I couldn't figure oh, yeah, out what her name was. I can't remember either, now that you mention um, it. But she goes, yes, we all know how close you were. <laughs> <laughs> and it just kind of, I, I mean, from their, from their past as children, but also that night of her screaming oh, on her wedding screaming. night. Echoing I'm sure, from the eerie all the way across yeah, the veil. I'm sure everybody kind of heard that. There's hmm. probably, people probably have heard legends of Lysa's like, like um, adolescent abortion and stuff too. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, her, her other line, you know, we always knew she was an odd fish. Everyone knew that, knew that, but she in, in fish because of the Tully, because uh, of the Tully's Tully, sigil. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. the trout sigil. <laughs> Love it. Well, you got, you got the black fish. And then when you combine the color green and brown, Rocco's modern life taught me you get breen. So she's like <laughs> the breen fish. <laughs> and you have the floppy fish. The floppy yeah. fish and or the flaccid totally. fish. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I named my dog after Rocco's Modern Life, Spunky. Oh, Spunky. awesome. Spunky. Cool. Spunky. 
Hey there, spunky old pal. Okay. R.I.P. Spunk. Miss you every day, buddy. Every day. R.I.P. Spunk. The Wonder Dog. I'm gonna pour some tea for you right now, Spunk. Oh. Thanks. Homeboy. Yep. Yeah. So, um, this lady kind of goes in, and if anyone knows this character's name, I'd love to know it because I couldn't figure out if they mentioned it in this episode or not, and it's. I believe the only episode we see her. So is that the one that's got Roman? No- I mean, ramen noodles for like a haircut. The old lady. Is that the, one <laughs> the old lady. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Sorry, she goes. Is. You know, she adored that boy of hers, and you know that's a pretty true statement. I mean, she was crazy in the fact that she was paranoid and kind of manic, but I mean, she did love her son and wanted to protect him. Right. Same as Cersei. Who's like awful, but loves her kids. It's her one redeeming quality. You could say that about Lysa as well, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're basically just interrogating the shit out of Lord Baelish saying, you know, like, it's funny that you just show up here. You marry Lady Lysa in like the first day you get there. And now she's fallen through the moon door, you know, and supposedly committed suicide. And they reveal that. They somehow know that Baelish traveled there with what they believe as, you know, his niece. And Baelish is trying to get the upper hand here. And he goes, you know, let me go fetch her for you because he wants to talk, clearly talk to Sansa. We'd actually appreciate her testimony unadulterated. Unadulterated, (laughs) yes. I just uh, looked it up and this actress is playing um, Anya Wainwood. Okay. So we've got Wayne, Bronze Jan Royce and Anya Wainwood. Okay. And, uh, somebody else over there, too. So, Q Sansa. And she looks very nervous, and Baelish is kind of giving her the eye, like, oh my god, I... What are you going to say? What are you going to do? Because on one side of the coin, Baelish knows that he has helped Sansa more than once. And, mm-hmm. you know... In his mind, he might be thinking, like, Sansa wouldn't betray me. But I did frame her for murder in King's Landing for regicide. <laughs> Which she's, you know, she has a clue of, but to what extent not a True. good clue of. I the mean, other she- interesting thing is that when she tells him, like, she's like, I'm sorry, I have to tell the truth. He doesn't fucking say anything. He actually stays quiet. It's like he's just going to let her rat him out or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah so that'd crazy. be like an omission of guilt if you started flaring up at that moment. Yeah, true. Yeah, too calculated for that. Mm. Yeah, and then on the other side of the coin, he did just murder her aunt, who, you know, right in front of her eyes. So I feel like he's thinking in his mind, like, which way is this gonna go? So mm-hmm. you know, they tell her like, we can kick Lord Baelish out of this place if you want to just talk to us personally, and she goes like, he can stay. And he, Lord Royce, speak up, girl. You're no damn kitchen mouse. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to the Lady of Winterfell, buddy. Yeah, but he doesn't know that right, yet. Yeah. So and, funny. you know, she turns to Lord Baelish and she goes, I'm sorry, Lord Baelish, but I have to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And she goes into revealing that she's Sansa Stark at Winterfell, that she had met Lord Royce when he was, you know, escorting his son up to the wall just for the record, uh, his son was the young lordling that was killed in the pilot episode. 
Waymar yes. Royce. He's yes. one of the uh, the Night's Watch that goes up and has the first encounter with the White Walkers. So that's kind of interesting. That's right. I forgot about that. That's more played out in the books than it is in the the show. Yeah, we never hear his name on the show. Yeah, I don't think. that's right. Very cool. So I love when she goes, you know, Lord Baelish has told many lies all <laughs> to protect me. <laughs> yeah, it's still for, for a second there before she says to protect me. It's like she, has, she pauses and it's still left ambiguous. Like, oh, my God, is she going to rat him out or what? You know, yeah. so great. Yeah, it's crazy. So, you know, she goes into how that she was a hostage in King's Landing. They beat me. They humiliated me. They married me to the imp. And, you know, she's, which is all true. This is all very true. So the tears in her eyes are very true. They're very telling. She's but think telling- about that as an actress, the timing of that tear. Like, oh, oh I my know. God, like that's like, that's amazing work. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, he did this all, you know, he saved me. He smuggled me away when he had the chance. And you knew she was a troubled woman. And then she goes into the kiss <laughs> and, right. you know, she goes, you know, he is my uncle by marriage and he just gave me a peck on the cheek, but Lysa saw and, you know, basically <laughs> flipped out on me. And, and at this point, you know, she's, <laughs> this is all fairly true statements up until when she said it was a peck on the cheek because it was not mm-hmm. a peck on the cheek but mixing truth with fiction is the best way to uh to lie yes and i think she's really picked this up from Littlefinger, which i'll go into in a couple of minutes but um you know baelish came in and found you know lady erin she was, you know, standing at the edge of the moon door. He told her she was the only one he had ever loved, and she stepped through. <laughs> and I love when the little old lady comes up and she's like, "Oh, hush, darling, you're safe. Your secret's safe with us." You know, she was very troubled, and the look that is exchanged between Sansa mm-hmm. and Baelish is just awesome because i really feel like in this moment baelish knows that she is a whole lot smarter than she leads on she's been listening i mean he goes on and on all the time about you know kind of grandiose ideas of the world and giving her kind of lessons on the way the world works and that you need to be a good liar and you need to you know keep your enemies questioning and I think, at for the most part, Lord Baelish doesn't think that Sansa's really listening to him, that he's just talking to an empty head. And I think right. this scene really kind of solidifies to him that Sansa has been listening to every single word he's said. So... Yeah, she's a true player at this point. Yes. It, it, it really just never occurred to him that she's actually listening to these lessons and taking them to heart, you know, how important it is to be a good liar. Like you just said, kind of mixing truth with fiction to know your strengths and use them wisely. And it also kind of teaches him a lesson about his own weakness and realizing that Sansa may be kind of one step ahead of him because 
she's like kind of this confusing mix of daughter and a second chance at the woman he has always loved. Yeah. So the second part of my number three is the actual like teacher and the student part when he meets her in her chambers after this goes on and he goes, you're not really a child any longer. You know, why did you help me? And Sansa reveals that she made a very little finger ish move here that if they would have thrown you through the moon door and found you guilty, you know, what would they have done with me? And I, I loved that sentiment because Sansa's on to Littlefinger and what he wants. And, you know, they kind of go through this banter, you know, to gamble on the man that you know versus strangers that you don't. And Baelish at one point in this discussion goes, and you think you know me? And she goes, I know what you want. And he goes, do yeah. you? And she just looks and at him and she's like, yeah, I know exactly what you want. Um, she kind of like smirks a little too. She totally very, smirks. Very, very slightly. Yes. Well, that's because she's working on exactly what she's going to show him later. Absolutely. Like the way she looks back down at what she's stitching right there. I know exactly what you want. What is she stitching? It's that black gown that she's going to walk oh, down the stairs later. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, if you look at the material in her hand, it's identical to like what she's going to be wearing in a minute. Right. Or we say in a minute, but in timeline, that could have been like five hours later or yeah, the or next day. Or days. Heroes, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Because they're already like prepping to take little Robin Aaron out at that point. So it could be like a week, two weeks. But who the, knows? Yeah, and the look on his face when we see that scene. He looks just, like, I mean, yeah. He's like, I mean, the look back on her face is just, okay, all right, it worked. Nice. She just yeah. smiles like, I got him. His face is like a wolf looking at its next meal. Like, he looks totally so hungry. I think he's sometimes he's confused as if, like, am I supposed to look at this girl like a daughter that I never had or, or like the chance I never got? <laughs> like, that kind of thing. He's always, yeah. he seems so conflicted with her. Like, you know. Yeah. I mean, she's like a daughter figure to him because he did love her mother, but. I think he's also weirdly sexually attracted to her too because she looks like her mother but is like we found in the last episode way more beautiful than she ever was so I, I mean Sansa is his Achilles heel if you will because she knows where his raw nerve is and I, I really feel up to this point and maybe even throughout the entire series Sansa is really kind of the only one that ever has truly gotten the upper hand with Littlefinger. Yeah. You know, what I don't understand about him, which I know this doesn't have a whole, I mean, it's, it's relevant, but like, instead of, you know, ultimately, spoiler, it gets him killed, but <laughs> it, I mean, imagine it, instead of selling her off to the Boltons, if he would have, you know, I mean, you got the veil and all of that power and he's right there at the seat of it. I mean, and in that moment where she's smirking at him, he hasn't sold her out. He is still a slight hero in her eyes at that moment. You know what I mean? He hasn't done yeah. anything wrong. I mean, if he would have been smart about it, he would have kept playing that card. Why not whisper in her little ear all the I love yous and things like that? I mean, that would have been a way smarter move than what he ended up doing. 
Yeah, I mean, she probably doesn't. She probably doesn't know like the full extent of how he set her up as uh, to take the fall potentially in King's Landing. Like she's wanted for murder. Well, I guess not anymore because they got Tyrion. But uh, right. So as soon as that trial's over, fucking hit your you know trailer to that truck. I mean, what what are you doing? Yeah, that's that's what's (laughs) always threw me off when I was watching that. I was like, what? Why the imps that been accused and convicted? I mean. And he's on trial basically saying that Sansa had nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if I was Sansa, I'd be like, yep, that's true. Everything Shay said on the record there. Uh, yep, totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait, didn't Shay say they planned it together? Oh, that's right. That's right. Maybe that's what it is then. <laughs> um, yeah. Any Anything else you want to add about this scene, Rachel? No, I think that was that was it for my, you know, Number three, as far as the teacher, the student, and the interrogation scene. All right. There's a couple things uh, I'll add about this. There's one good shot where Sansa is explaining the situation to the Lords of the Vale. And it's after she's been, you know, it's been revealed that she's playing the game and she's manipulating the truth. And the the focus is on Sansa, but Littlefinger is in the background, out of focus, just sitting there. And I thought it sort of is symbolic that he was like the force behind her doing this, that he's he's not like pulling the strings per se, but he's the man behind the curtain training her to do that, like to, to be able to lie like this and everything. So it's just kind of um, artistically displayed in that moment. We also get um, information from Lord Royce that Ned grew up right here in these halls, mm. which is pretty cool it's it's oh, worth yeah. noting that um both ned stark and robert baratheon both fostered at the erie growing up and they were wards of john aaron so this was pretty common for a noble youth throughout westeros but um you know typical typical to like build close relationships with other powerful houses um so before liana was captured ned was living at the at the vale and after she was captured the mad king summoned Ned Stark to court and John Aaron refused to send him to court and instead marshaled his banners and Ned Robert and John Aaron led the charge south to King's Landing in the mm. in the to beginning the war which eventually became known as Robert's Rebellion so it's just kind of interesting to know that Ned did live here um and with Robert which is I don't know just kind of cool little background information That yeah. is cool. Yeah, and we learned that Littlefinger was award at river run he fostered at river run which is how he knew lisa and catlin which is also a nice little tidbit and um interesting this week sansa is confessing her identity to the lords of the Vale, which sort of mirrors last week Arya's confession of her true name to the uh the dying man so it's just interesting that this, both Stark girls confessed their true identity two weeks in a row, whereas a few episodes ago, Bran was working to keep his identity secret <laughs> and refusing to divulge information. So little um, parallels and contrasts there. Pretty cool. Yeah, a lot to, to unpack in this scene. Definitely. Cool. So what is your number three, Duncan? My number three is Reek, Reek. It rhymes with Meek. Reek, Reek. It rhymes with Weak. <laughs> nice. And uh it's basically it's just that whole scene with Reek 
<laughs> taken Moat Kalen. Um, I thought it was really, really well done. Great acting by Alfie Allen and everybody involved. So Reek and Ramsey are preparing at um, at a hillside near Moat Kalen, and we get a great vantage point shot where we see that there's one pathway to Moat Kalen from the north and from the south, and everything to the side is just like the swampy area. So this is like a strategic point, like almost like the twins, where if you want to get through, you basically have to go through Moat Kalen. Um, kind of cool. So <laughs> Ramsey has some hilarious lines talking about krakens. Strong as long as they're in the sea. When you take them out of the water, no bones. And <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious uh, delivery, uh, I, the way he said that. I have that same quote in my notes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no bones. Me too. They and it's very, it's very telling of what Theon Greyjoy has kind of become in the, the likes of Reek. Yeah. Yep. He was uh, weakened, living on land to the point where he was manipulatable by Ramsay. And these guys are in Moat Kalen, and they're like <laughs> weak and dying, just so super sick, wicked sick. But yeah, I thought this was a really great metaphor by Ramsay Bolton here, talking Ramsay Snow at this point, um, comparing the. Uh, <laughs> the Krakens to literal Krakens who would just collapse under their proud weight and slump into a heap of nothing, which is funny. So uh, he's he's going him through the whole thing and telling him, you know, reminding him who he is and what he's got to do. And he's getting him all ready to do it. And he uh, he says, bring me Moat Kalen and one final time, who are you? And uh, it's it's sort of paralleling Arya being asked that same question last episode, and both of them answer with their lordly names, but inversely, Reek is lying by answering his lordly name, and he's he's essentially playing the game of faces at this moment, well, whereas uh, Arya was cool. honest last episode. <laughs> yeah, pretty funny, right? No, that's really good. That's awesome. Good parallel, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was cool. So he goes over and we, we meet Kenning, who's commanding the garrison, and uh, they are sick as fuck. These guys are sick. <laughs> like, he's got sores all over his face and his lip, and uh, he's collapsing mid-sentence and having to be picked up by his dudes. Yeah. And th- the books go into even more detail with, like, this. There's, like, like rotting corpses all over the place. They're, the leadership is changing every few days because everybody, like every the people who are <laughs> running the joint, are die, keep dying. There's like not many people left, and they are in really, really bad condition. Odds are that even if they weren't flayed, they all would have died. True. So, uh, pretty funny. Reek is telling them that he's Theon Greyjoy, and and uh, that there was honor in in. You know, they fought honorably, they surrendered, and there's no shame in that. You know, during Robert's Rebellion, the way he saw his father kneel, and the guy's like, oh, you're smoking like a fucking, you know, like a woman or something. And uh, and Reek starts like, oh, like twitching, and, <laughs> and, and like, just these like visceral reactions where he cannot handle it. He's shaking and... And his training kicks in, and this is like one of my favorite little book nods out of the whole series. It's so quiet, you can't really hear it, unless you're really paying attention. But if you read his lips, he's going, Reek, Reek, that rhymes with meek. Reek, Reek, it rhymes with weak. And uh, even the subtitles got it wrong. The, they 
<laughs> they had they quoted him incorrectly there, which you you can notice if you uh, if you really pay oh. attention. Yeah, it's, he says my my name is Reek, which is in, in the subtitles, but he doesn't say that. He's going Reek Reek. It rhymes with with Meek, so it's pretty funny. Um, but just excellent acting. Like he's got all kinds of ticks, and he just looks off his rocker like a like a crack addict in withdrawal or something like that and what a performance by alfie allen as in the depths of reekdom he's so good at it yeah it's just amazing so the guy the guy gets cracked from behind by somebody else who thinks it's a good idea to surrender and even after that crack in the head and the guy falls reek has one more reek (laughs) bursts out reek real quick Super, super funny. And so the guy picks up the parchment and he's like, so this piece of paper says that we can go free if we surrender. <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah, totally. And then it just cuts to him <laughs> flayed Missing open. Missing an eye. Yeah. Oh my God, that was so horrible. And you know what was really detailed about that flayed scene is you could still see the blood kind of like running oh. through the body. Oh, like, really? His skin was off, yeah. but you can, like... But it's still, like, leaking it's, out. He's still, like, bleeding. Oh, freshly dead. It's really intense. <laughs> yeah, that's well, super intense. It's got a lot to do with the way they, they flay him. They, I mean, it's almost like they flay, they flay him down to almost just, like, the very last layer of skin. Like, seven right. or eight layers or whatever. Because, yeah, like she says, you can still see, like, the blood flow, like, not pumping, but working its way like not just splatting out everywhere it's working its way through the muscles because all the muscles are still intact right Right. so the the heart has stopped beating but gravity is like just drawing it out through the exposed (laughs) surfaces that's super gnarly so uh the mission is successful and this earns you know ramsey some some good stuff here um but uh, this, we like to mention the the transitions on this show, and this is a great transition from being alive to being flayed. Worth mentioning. Oh yeah. Well, yes. the other thing is uh, what he says when they're standing at the flay man, which is that, uh, "What are we without our history?" Yeah. You know, and I love that quote because you know he's a at that point he hasn't gotten it yet. He's still a bastard without a name. You know. So he's still he's honoring these traditions right now that he's a, of a bastard household. I mean, he's not he's not a, a Bolton at that point, but he's still honoring the flayed man or whatever. And I think it's even funnier because it's just a big jab to him. Like, what are we without our history? Oh, that's right. You wouldn't know because you're not Theon anymore. I took yeah, that away exactly. From you. He's stripped Reek of his that. real history. Yes. Yeah, stripped <laughs> that's him of very his history. good. Yeah, I have that in my notes too. It's awesome. Really, really uh, funny. He's such a sadist. It's hilarious. I hate him. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so uh, they, it turns out that they're going home, but they're going to their new home, which will be another test of Reek's brainwashing to have him living at Winterfell, where any instincts from Theon would be triggered by memories of being at Winterfell. So it'll be interesting to see if he can... Uh, if Reek will will survive Winterfell, or if it if Theon comes out again, and we know Theon ends up sort of returning and trying to save Sansa as as he jumps from the walls with Sansa into the snowbank. So Reek, like as 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 brainwashed as Theon is to be Reek, it wasn't powerful enough to overcome all of the memories being triggered at Winterfell, being there with Sansa and seeing everything and. That's where he grew up, you know? It's one thing for him to be brainwashed at the Dreadfort 
or at all these places where where he hasn't spent a lot of time but immersing him back at his home and having all of these memories being dredged up and everything by all the sights and sounds and people you know at least sansa that is what probably breaks the brainwashing and allows uh, theon to sort of creep back into existence for hmm. sure i agree with that totally so that pretty much wraps up uh, my number three anybody else want to add anything johnny yeah, I got one just for that that scene. I I think it's uh funny how you know the 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 internet like always refers to him and people refer to him as the evil Elijah Wood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh and he does, <laughs> yeah. man. And when his uh when he makes that line that you that you talked about, that's the reason I quoted it when it uh strong in the sea, but take them out. You know, and when he says the word bones, he like lifts his <laughs> eyes. And it's like the same like look that Elijah Wood has like in like whenever he's excited in Lord of the Rings, like, you know, because we always right. forget because by, you know, the end of Lord of the Rings, he's just so down and downtrodden. But like in the beginning, he's like, it's an adventure, you know, and he's yeah, just got this, yeah. I swear, man, it's hilarious. Like evil Elijah Wood. Oh, yeah. He looks <laughs> just like him. It's just, yeah, twisted, dark, evil Elijah Wood. That's great. So uh, you want to move on to your number two, Johnny? Oh, yes. So uh, we're going to take a trip across the sea. Um, All right, let's take a my, dragon. Yeah, right? <laughs> my uh, my number two is the, I got it, the banishment of Jorah Mormont. Nice. Um, and the loss, of, uh, the loss of trust being so heavy that she can't look him in the eyes. Yeah, and there's that one moment where she transitions from looking at him to not looking at him, and it's right when he admits that he had... Uh, ratted her out about her baby basically right and you know as as like a parent i i've had like those kind of moments like you're like you're asking your kid something like why did you do this and they're they're you know kind of him hoeing around it trying to almost make it make sense and then you're like that's not a good enough answer you know and they finally give you the answer and when it is it's just so much more like worse than what you thought I know, and you told me about it. You banished your kids away too, just like Daenerys. Like, oh, man. well, <laughs> so you just like start staring at the ceiling because it's like if I look at you right now, I swear. <laughs> and she's just got that 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 moment. And I know everybody calls her mother and mother of dragons and Misa and all that, but like, even though this man is so much older than her, in that moment, he's like this little child, little kid, you know, in front of this powerful woman, and you can like yeah. literally see the trust just disintegrating in her eyes. That's like I'm sure when Barristan brought her this this you know this parchment, and she's reading it, she's probably thinking, well, we'll meet with him because there's got to be a good reason. He wouldn't have done this without a good reason. And then as he's just like, no, it's not a forgery. It's like, no, why didn't you say it was a forgery? I would have right. believed there's you. No, like, yeah. there would have been no evidence. Yeah. And so, uh, but, but that shows you how honorable in that moment he has become. And right. I, I, I love this character. I mean, obviously I, me too. I, you know, I like seeing him be like a evil guy in like the resident evil movie series, which is horrible. Oh shit. I haven't and seen that. Yeah. He's uh he's like one of the main like doctors in the resident evil, uh, movie series not the game series but the the really bad movie series <laughs> but there's a but he's one of like the highlights of that series he's just such a good actor yeah he's um, got a great voice too but it's yeah crazy seeing him like in this this role really being able to justify it with his tealish blue scarf i, I just love how iconic this character is 
And I love his story, especially from where we're seeing it now. But in this moment, in in this scene, it's just so... You know, a parent, I mean, we see her power of, you know, I'll, I'll have your head in the bay. And of course she would. She's not, that's not an empty threat in that moment at all. Mm-hmm. But I just love so much, like, how well uh, Amelia Clark and him just like that, that it's almost like the rest of those actors weren't even there. Yeah. It just, yeah. It, it's so wonderful of a scene. The setting is so good because we've already seen the, the, uh, the story of the sheep. And I don't think at this point, as the little girl with the bones, she hasn't been, that hasn't nope, been brought yet. up yet. So this this little chamber just like sees so much action, but this is like the, it is one of the only times in this episode, and we're talking about the Mountain and the Viper episode, it is the <laughs> only, only time in this episode I got like literal like goosebumps down my skin when I watched Damn. it. It's just like, because the camera gets so close to them. And like you just said, Duncan, you have that moment where... She's looking at him, and then she can't. She's looking at the ceiling. But when he rises up and uh, says her name again, not Khaleesi, but Daenerys, and she she just walks on with him and doesn't break. Don't call con- me that. Yeah, doesn't break. Don't ever presume to touch me again. And like, and locks eyes and doesn't let up until I'll put your head. And then just now, like just her word, the last word she says to him is just now. Yep. And she just doesn't linger. She doesn't look back up, doesn't look away, just keeps right on him like a dagger. It's just such a good scene. I mean, if it wasn't, you know, for the the iconic, obviously, ending to this episode, I think it's the most powerful (laughs) scene in the episode by far. Yeah, I would agree. Stellar performances. And Jorah is just such a tragic character. His whole history, his whole storyline is always centering around him being madly in love with some woman who just, like, doesn't return the the feelings in the way that he wants to. And uh, he ends up losing them somehow, you know? Yeah. No, I I love this character. It's it's Unlike uh, Oberyn... Um, who obviously gets beat up a lot. Him and Dorne being, uh, I guess, underutilized in the in the TV show versus the books. Yeah. But uh, I don't feel that way about Jorah at all. I love Jorah in the show way more than I do in the books. Yeah, same here. And I just think in the books, he's like, he just comes across as like a a creeper a little to more me creepy. in the books. Yeah, yeah, yeah a little more. And, and this one, he just, you know, even when he's not near her, like later when we get like the the Tyrion Jorah arc and all that kind of, he's just. There's not a bad, and then when they're going up north of the wall, there's just no bad scenes with with this guy. Yeah, Ian Glenn, man, nails yeah. it. They could not have yeah. cast Jorah better. No yep. possible way. But that's agreed. Too. Nice. Anything you want to add about that scene, Rachel? Yeah, I do. This is actually my number two as well, Johnny. Great. So um, I want to backpedal back to when Barristan hands him the sigil or the 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 scroll is that the hand of the king um stamp Seal? yeah Ooh, good question i didn't notice at first i thought it looked like a a bear claw or like a bear paw but I, in closer look i think it's the hand of the king yeah it must be cuz he says that this is tywin like doing this yeah, yeah. so it must be and jorah is totally right too so, um, I thought it was interesting because we, we discover that it's a royal pardon signed by Robert Baratheon. And this part of the show, Robert Baratheon is dead. 
So my question was, did Jorah send the royal pardon that he received back to King's Landing? Because it seems like it's the original royal pardon if Robert Baratheon signed it, or do you think it was a forgery? So he he uh, it, he had received a, one. Well, it's got. I mean, the it, it, I would assume it's a forgery because the whole point of uh, I would think that scene that we saw in the other episode where he's like, "Bring me paper and a quill or whatever," when he told the Tyrell guy to go get like at the end of their little uh, uh, small council meeting. Yeah, he tells Mace. Yeah, he was. I felt like in that moment, he's like, "Oh, I'm about to fuck them up. I'll fix this real quick." Like, Damn, that's what I pulled from it. I've always linked those two together, and I've interesting. Never okay, seen, yeah, that's yeah. entirely possible. So, Rachel, you're saying that Barristan received a pardon already in a previous season? Um, I'm Was saying that, that Jorah received a pardon. I mean, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Jorah, Jorah. Dur. Yeah, <laughs> her dur. When they are at the market right before the wine merchant. Um, tries oh, yeah, to give Danny pardon, the wine. Right? One of the little birds finds Jorah. He's like hiding, and you know, hands him the the scroll, and was like, you know, a royal pardon. You can go home now. Right. I forgot and about that. Yeah. I I can't remember. It's been so long Nobody since I've watched that it, yeah. episode. If he takes it from the little boy. Or does not take it from the little boy. Yeah, he could have sent it back like, fuck you guys. And maybe that's why Varys is like, oh, he no longer spies on Daenerys. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking, too, is he didn't accept it, which was kind of a mistake by Jorah, if you think about it. Because if he had that royal decree, he should have, like, Tywin burned it, you know, if he was truly, you know, devoted to Danny. That's a good question. Like, what, what happened to it? Because, I mean, even... Even even if it's not a forgery, because we don't they don't tell you exactly what it says, because it could just be like this document that received says that you were pardoned the year we met and then it's signed. So maybe at a current timeline, Taiwan actually says, you know, sending that letter over there. Don't forget, Jorah, you were pardoned back in year blah, 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 blah. That still stands. Come on home. <laughs> like, I mean, we don't know what the actual paper, the scroll has in it, like. Word for word paragraph. We do know in this scene, though, that it's signed by Robert Baratheon. It was signed oh, by Robert Baratheon, okay. Baratheon the yeah. year we met. So that is where I'm either thinking it's the original or it's forged. She's saying, yeah, if if we're fighting each other, we're not fighting him. And she says the pardon was signed the year we met. Why were you okay. pardoned unless you're saying this document was forged? My issue, I guess, with this is isn't uh, John Aaron the hand of the king at that time before he dies? Um, no, Ned Stark was. No, but Ned Stark wouldn't have signed a pardon for Bear Island, not not at all. So that I think that by the time, um, yeah, because we we learn that John Aaron is dead in episode one, right? And then he receives the pardon when, the, uh, yeah, like later on. Um, so I think that. It was probably written by, oh yeah, I'm not sure who would have wrote it. Because, I mean, if John Aaron pardoned pardon him, then that kind of throws off the line that, don't you see what this is? This is Tywin Lannister. Why in that moment would he not have brought up, you know, this, it may not be a, for, I mean, it's a, it is a forgery based on one that I did receive or like some kind of like trying to reason it more. It's just very glossed over. And I mean, that might've been on the, 
part of the writers. Like, no one's going to analyze this that much. But, um, <laughs> they never saw a game of microphones coming. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, he was pardoned as a result of his spying throughout season one. So that... It would have been Tyrion? It would have been, um, I guess, Ned... Or well, Ned was Hand of the King, but here's the thing is, it could have been Pycelle, it could have been a oh, Littlefinger, it could it have, would been... have been... Ty- it would have been Tywin, because the only, I mean, Tyrion was only acting Hand of the King at King's Landing because but Robert Tywin was couldn't... dead at that point. Right, but I mean, if we're, uh, if we're giving him the pardon for what he's done through, uh, through season one, well, Robert dies in season one, so I guess it's a matter of... When, when was the pardon offered to him originally? What episode was it in season? The pardon was, uh, was offered before Robert Baratheon died. They go to Vice oh, okay. Dothrock and they go to the market, and okay. so it must have been right before Robert died because it was before Drogo died. Drogo came back, found out about the assassination attempt, and that's when he gave his big speech about riding the wooden horses across the salt water and the poison yeah, water. Yeah, I don't know. I to, now I'm going to want to freeze frame and really look at that seal. Like, is it the hand of the king or is it the, is it, because it didn't look like a stag or anything like that. I mean, like, because they, they can't, they zoom in on the, on that, like, oh, you're watcher, you're supposed to know exactly what this is. Look at the importance of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought, is that the spy master's seal? I was so. Maybe it was resealed more recently to send, but probably written during uh, Robert and Ned's tenure, I imagine. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe it's just got an addendum on it, like folded in there, like from Tywin. Love Tywin. And that's why he's like, don't you see this is Tywin? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because if it was pardoned by Ned Stark during Robert still being alive, it just doesn't really make sense that don't you see this is, this is Tywin. Like, I don't, it's kind of, it's kind of weird to, to bring that up. Like, because we saw Tywin get the piece of paper and say, grab me a quill and a, a piece of paper. So it's like, he's did he want to put something else in there to reiterate? Before you get too trusty, mother of dragons, how about this? You know, this is the original <laughs> document that I sent to, or that was sent to him years ago, that kind of thing. Like maybe yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like a smaller piece of parchment wrapped up in it or something. I don't know. <laughs> in any case, um, we... Jorah is totally right, which makes this scene like all the more fucked up because Jorah ends up leaving Danny's service. So Tywin like effectively executed this plan and was able to split Danny from one of her, you know, her top advisors. Uh, it's really fucked up. So it's 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 a big loss all around. A loss for for Danny of her closest confidant. A loss for Jorah of like everything. <laughs> a loss yeah. for. Um, the chances of overthrowing the, you know, the Lannisters in King's Landing because this weakens Danny's position significantly. He was one of her, like, you know, like her head st- strategy guy. <clears throat> and Barristan is not known for being, a, like, a, a person, um, a strategic advisor. You know, he just, like, follows orders, does what he's told. He was never, like, a strategy guy. So it it really puts Danny at a significant advantage i mean disadvantage and it's just a loss all around for a lot of people it's brutal as he rides off into the sunset oh by yeah. the way duncan he's riding a frisian i know oh, we've yeah. talked about that but on what's a frisian the frisian is that black horse with like the feathered feet and the really high set neck that we talked about oh. one of the first episodes i recorded with you 
I told nice. you that they they appear often in the show, and so I just wanted to note that he is writing a Frisian, um, writing off to Marine. <laughs> nice. Yeah, they, they all blur together for me. <laughs> good catch. Good so, catch. So, um, some of the other stuff that I liked about this scene is, you know, Barristan being kind of noble. You know, I wanted to tell you first man to man instead of going behind your back. It's kind yep, of like good a dig at him going behind Danny's back. And Batman's a noble guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have written um, when he gets the message, message for Batman. <laughs> Maybe that's what the seal was. It was like the bat logo stamped on there. <laughs> it's definitely some type of hand or like bear paw or like some type of hand for sure. But, you know, Jorah's like, let me speak with her in private. And he goes, you'll never be alone with her again. And yeah, I just love brutal. that sentiment. Like, I came to you. Yeah, not on my watch, buddy. I'm not. Tr- I don't trust you, you know. Yeah. Like, that stage is over. Yes. So. Well, yeah, he still sees him for all of his crimes. I mean, even though they're getting along now, I mean, they didn't right off the bat for a reason. You know, we got a man of honor and a man of dishonor standing next yeah, to Yeah, basically. Other. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, and I mean, when he's standing in front of Danny, I mean, it's, he's being honest in that moment. You know, he's like, I sent letters to Varys, the spy master of King's Landing. He's so ashamed, too. It's hard for him to even say it. Yeah, but, you know, I think, I think really this is kind of the worst thing that could have happened to Danny. I think it puts a lot of doubt and mistrust into her mind about the people closest to her and their, their motives for being there. Yep. Sometimes the worst thing you can do is sow seeds of doubt in people. Yeah. Sometimes it's all it takes. Exactly. And it's kind of the worst thing for Jorah to happen to him too, because while this happened a while ago and yes, he was spying on her, he has since completely devoted his entire life to being right. where she is. He's he's clearly in in the first season, he wanted to go home because he wanted a royal decree back to um King's, you know, back to Westeros, which he inevitably turns down. And he's sitting in Marine with her right now, like living his life serving her. Right. He cho- he turned down the pardon and stayed. Like at this point his allegiance is true. Uh, which makes it all the more sad. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks so, so bad. you know, I think in hindsight, um, he should have probably told her when the wine merchant, or maybe a little bit after the wine merchant, and just said... After she cooled down yeah, a little bit. <laughs> or, that. like, maybe even after the, the baby was born, because he didn't end up surviving, you know, and just say, like, look, there's something I need to tell you just in full disclosure, I used to send letters to Varys. It was nothing really specific other than like where you were and what you were doing and what was going on. Kind of. You were a stranger. I had no allegiance. I wanted to go home. Yeah. Once I learned who you were and saw what you, beca- what you became, like everything, everything changed. Everything changed for me. B- believe and I'm, me. You I'm know? devout to you now. And I know that, that this may string some doubt into your mind, but I, I felt as far as full disclosure goes, I need to tell you this because I don't want it ever to come up and have you not trust me. So I think if he would have maybe done it, but it's like, when is the right time to do something like that? So I understand why he didn't yeah, do it. Never. It's never a good time. Because he's fearful that this exact thing this is, she'd would react. happen. Yeah, just like she did. You know, but I think yep. Danny 
back in those earlier days may have been more receptive because she wasn't as powerful. So I think he kind of missed the boat, if you will, on telling her. Yeah. And then he just kind of bowed his head and prayed, hoping that it would never come back to bite him. Yeah, at this point, it's been so long that if he told her, she'd be like, and you've been fucking lying to me this whole time. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> like, and it's been quite a long time. months ago. Yeah, it's been- and speaking of the timeline, um, we learn by Baelish that it was 20 years ago that Robert and Ned rode on King's Landing from the Vale. So that means it's been three years since the pilot episode of the show. Oh, interesting. So that's how long they've been together, basically, at this point. And what, what year was he... Uh- was he was he banished during the rebellion or before or after like right after it was uh after the rebellion robert was king he uh jorah had it was probably like 10 years ago maybe okay. 10 okay. 50, you know something like that purple wedding was 300 ac jorah was banished 293 ac so that would be 7 years ago cuz i think it's probably still 300 ac at this point mm okay I wonder how many times he did wake up and went, maybe tonight I can be like, Khaleesi, so, uh, we need to talk. <laughs> no, 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 I'll do it. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> it's yeah, probably kept him up for a long time. Probably did. Yeah, probably ate at him this whole time. It's such a tragic character, man. Yeah. Yeah. Such a tragic You know, character. so he goes into, or she goes into, you sold my secrets to the man who killed my father and stole my brother's throne, and you want me to forgive you? And he looks at her, and this is the hardest part for me to watch from Jorah's perspective. He goes, I have protected you. I have fought for you. I have killed for you. I have loved you. And she goes, love, how can you say that you love me? And it's just... We know that Jorah's in the friend zone, but he brings all of these really poignant pieces to Danny saying like, it's so brutal. yes, I, I did when I had no allegiance to you and hardly even knew you apart from being this Targaryen girl and wanting to go home to now the daughter of an insane person. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I mean, I've done all these things for you. How can you just not? How can you throw that all away and just completely, in her words, um, what does she say? If you are found in Marine past break of day, I'll have your head thrown into Slaver's Bay. Nice little rhyme there, too. That's true. Yeah. And didn't she, was it the last episode or the episode before where she was just like, oh, make sure you tell them that it was your ideal. You're so great. You know? <laughs> yeah, last episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> completely so that i mean that kind of wraps up my number two along with the points that johnny made so um duncan do you have any more points on this that covers it for uh that one for me cool so what's your number two then my number two is beetlejuice Mm. yes aka orson the god invalid (laughs) so This is a really interesting scene where Tyrion is preparing for his trial by combat. And I've heard a lot of people over the years try to analyze this scene to figure out what what they're talking about with um, the 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 Beatles story and why it's significant. Orson Lannister. 
Yeah, Orson Lannister. Um, so Tyrion, one of the first things he says, he's drinking wine, and he says, wine always helps, which is funny because later during the trial by combat, he's, he tells Oberyn, why are you drinking? You know, that might not help. <laughs> Don't drink. <laughs> I always drink. It might not help. And it's like, wait, you said it always helps just a little while ago. So make up your mind, Tyrion. Uh, I guess it always helps him, but maybe not everybody else. So he says, trial by combat, deciding a man's guilt or innocence in the eyes of the gods by having two other men hack each other to pieces tells you something about the gods. And it's bas- he's basically saying that the whole process is illogical. Right. And he's implying that the gods aren't operating on logic, or at least not logic that he can understand. So there, he's hanging out with Jamie, and they're talking about the Red Viper and... And you don't get a name like that unless you're deadly, right? <laughs> and uh, so they're talking about him. It's kind of funny, wondering what the punishments are um, for regicide. And they go, they're talking about different words for different types of family murder, <laughs> which is a great nepicide. fratricide. Kill, yeah, nep- nepoticide for killing a nephew. Fratricide for killing brothers. Although I think nepoticide might be just general, general for kill, family killing. Sirenicide. Phyllis. Yes, sirenicide. <laughs> <laughs> featuring, <laughs> featuring us. Um, uh, Phyllicide for killing your sons. Like um, you may recognize uh, in nomine patri fili e spiritus sancti from uh, Christianity. Name of the father, filii with the son. And the spiritual sanctity, the, the Holy Ghost. So, filicide is from the Latin filius, which is son. Killing your son. And then they go matricide, killing your mom. Patricide, killing your dad. Infanticide, killing babies. Suicide, killing yourself. And then they realize, Tyrion's like, there's no kind of killing that doesn't have his own word. And Jamie immediately says cousins, which harkens back to when he was being held captive by Rob Stark and he murders his cousin yeah. to, to get out. And try oh, to escape. Oh, good. Yeah, care. I have that in my notes too. That nice. So that's weighing on his conscience there. That's- yeah, he's probably been thinking about this before, like you know, thinking about it, thinking about whether or not there's a, a technical term for it. Huh? You know, because he he has you know, he's a kinslayer. He's a or he's a he's a kingslayer. People call him things. So he's you know he's probably figuring out what what would they call me if they knew I killed my cousin. Or you know? what the Latin word and for he cousin knows is. that there's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> Um, so it's a pretty good scene. I like that callback. Uh, it's obviously, like you said, weighing on his conscience. And that's when Tyrion brings up his cousin Orson. Orson Lannister. A wet nurse dropped him on his, on his head, left him simple. Simple. He used to sit in the garden all day, crushing beetles with a rock. Nothing made him happier. Um, so <laughs> he, he was, Tyrion was so curious about, like, why he was doing this and why was he smashing all those beetles and there's a a number of explanations i think it's kind of funny Uh, it could be interpreted as meta commentary about george rr martin who kills all of his characters (laughs) indiscriminately even the ones we like like just like a like a a simple kid just smashing beetles with a rock Whichever ones he can hit, you know, <laughs> torturing right. us, leaving us wondering, why? Why, George? Why, Orson? Why are you crushing these beetles? Why are you killing our characters? You know, why? So that's a kind of a cool interpretation. Um, and then Tyrion has some gems of lines throughout here. 
You know, he says he's asking Orson, why are you smashing all those Beatles? Smash the Beatles. Smash them. And uh, he says, I was the smartest person I knew. (laughs) Certainly, I had the wherewithal to unravel the mysteries that lay at the heart of a moron. (laughs) Which is funny. He was talking about how Oberyn has an abundance of confidence in himself and he he mirrors Oberyn here by, you know, having so much confidence in his own intellect, right. <laughs> you know, which is just kind of funny. Um, so uh, they're they're speculating more about Orson, and he's talking about the details of like it, it wasn't mindless. He he could tell that he he had his reasons. Like his face was like the page of a book written in a language that I didn't understand. And uh, he he was learning, reading books, and listening to history lessons, and all he could think about was Orson's Beatles, and he couldn't figure it out, and uh, he had to know because it was horrible that all these Beatles should be dying for no reason. And Jamie says, every day around the world, men, women, and children are murdered by the score. Who gives a dusty fuck about a bunch of Beatles? I dusty love fuck dusty is a great, fuck. Great little line there. <laughs> the visuals. <laughs> Another interpretation of this is it could be a reflection about the illogical nature of gods and the way that they choose the fates of the people, meeting horrible ends irrespective of their merits and their lives and their accomplishments and their deeds, like Ned Stark, who is, by all accounts, or most accounts, you know, an honorable guy who meets a brutal end for no reason at the hands of the cruelty of, of the gods. Or it could be a reflection about the futility of existence and the fallibility of man in the face of uncontrollable forces of nature and reality, where no matter what you do, you know, you could be struck down at any moment. You know, it it, it could also, the way that Tyrion's trying to figure it out, and he's he's wondering like why are, why are, are the gods so cruel and indiscriminate why is why is orson doing this it could also mirror the way that they say that humans could never know the mind of god how it will always be on be beyond the scope of man and you can try to interpret it but you'll never be able to grasp the meaning because they're thinking on like the god would be on a whole like cosmic omnipotent level and there could be meaning, maybe there isn't meaning. It could be random, it could be logical, but either way, it's outside of of your scope as a human. Hmm. Um, so there's just all kinds of cool ways to think about this scene and interpret the the allegory of Beatles, of, of Orson and the Beatles. Um, and did you guys have any interesting ideas for what they I, could be talking I do. about here? Um all right. It almost uh, made it into my top three. Like if we would have had a top four or five, it would have definitely been in there. So nice. I like you. I when I first saw that scene back when it originally aired, because by this point I had I think I'd said this before in our previous episode I was on. Like um, I think we only binged the first season and then we started watching live and either in the middle of the second season or right at the end of the second season. And I watched. Nice. And this was the first episode I watched. Live, oh, okay. Everybody knows. All right. So, <laughs> what a good one to start with. Um, but I know jaw just dropped at the end, just hanging there for a few minutes. So, <laughs> so, so uh, my big thing was looking up same thing, and I kept finding all of the the people trying to say, "Well, you, here's Tyrion reading books, which teach you logic." But instead of him concentrating the books, he's still trying to find out the logic of the simpleton and and all of that. And I and like you just brilliantly explained. 
I'd never pulled any of that from it. Like Thank you. my, my, uh, um, my look from it always, because everybody kept analyzing that, and I'm like, okay, then the roly poly, the roly poly, the roly poly. Like, the we can <laughs> we can see the dust of the Beatles because of what Jamie says and and what Tyrion says. His dreams were full of, but in our frame, right there on the camera, is him messing with this roly poly, okay, this pill bug mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's like, well, why are they concentrating on that? And then he sets it free at the end. And I thought it was just this massively awesome parallel. Here you have two quote unquote misshapen or deformed Lannisters, one by a wet nurse, the other one by the cruelty of birth. You never knowing what's going to happen, even though you're a Targaryen. Anyway, but, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but be it as it may, you had these two uh, Lannisters that were different from the the stark beautiful blondes that roam their you know castly rock here's these two mm-hmm. probably you know bastards yeah. <laughs> of the lineage and one's crushing beetles like there's no tomorrow for no reason at all just this total not just a simpleton but just a, an evil simpleton at that just just angry <laughs> at something and then you have Tyrion, even on the the eve of his death telling this story where he'd almost if he crushed the bug you'd almost be like I, he's just feeling that torture just from a kid but he does he softly just lets it go and I have my notes written say, oh, beautiful moment uh, saying that the, the Beatles story oh my god talk about a tears moment he's such a kind soul and look how Jamie sees it because towards the bend he's just like well good luck like I mean he's just he's got to get out of there because it's about to eat him up of realizing how uh, yeah very abruptly yeah how pure and kind this this his brother is compared to him even you know like yeah. and we're about to put him to death you know possibly yeah. put him to death kind of thing and the yeah it's it's i like that too it's very brutal and another um obviously smashing having a you know, big big monster um kid smashing all these little tiny beetles it obviously is foreshadowing the way that Oberyn gets his head smashed, smashed at the end of the and the end a few minutes by this monster giant completely you know i never i never put that together that's good <laughs> <laughs> yeah because the mountains like orson and i have that in my notes that the smashing of the beetles is very yeah. foretelling of Oberyn's like this yeah. oh, oh my god, my god. It's very similar to the scene where Sansa gets raped or by a by a Ramsay on their wedding night. We don't actually see the smash Ilaria's reaction. Yep. That's what we see and that's what makes oh, it so horrifying okay. is because her reaction to Oberyn being smashed is horrifying. She screeches oh, yeah. and her she's like like clawing at her face and her hand, her fingers are like convulsing and shaking as she pulls away, pulls them downward. And like, she is freaking out. The other shot is the, uh, is the mountain like being sprayed with the blood. So like you, yeah, the the actual explosion you don't see. Say her name. Say it. Elliot Martel! I killed her children! Then I raped her! Then I smashed her head! Did like this! (laughs) 
since we're here, I, I actually, so in our horror drama, there's a scene, I'm not going to spoil anything just in case any new listeners want to check it out, but there's a scene where a guy- Yeah, Sirenicide, yeah, just inside, to make oh, sorry, sure you guys yeah, know Siren, Sirenicide. Yeah, Sirenicide.com. But in, uh, in uh, season three, episode four, we have a scene where a, a person that remains nameless here gets their head smashed in. <laughs> And it's not by like hands; it's by like a power that puts pressure on it and pops it. Oh, so yeah, so, that was so cool, when we man. were in the writers' room for this episode, and I was talking about her, and I, I actually referenced this episode. I was like, "Well, there's an episode of Game of Thrones where because uh, there's a couple people, believe it or not, that were in our writings room that hadn't that just didn't hop on the Game of Thrones train." So I actually pulled the episode up and I said, "Now watch this, guys." I'm going to fold the laptop down or the, uh, and actually as I was showing it to the, one of the guys that hadn't ever seen it, it might've been my phone. And I was like, we're not going to watch the scene. I just want you to listen to the scene because we're an audio drama, not a visual drama. Yep. Right. I was like, right. listen to this sound effect when this oh, guy's head horrid. explodes. And I said, this is what we need for what, you know, and I, so I used this episode as a reference for it, you know, and and we went through and we did so many in this booth I'm recording in, which is funny, so many different things with oranges, with uh, rotisserie chickens, like squishing them, trying to, I kept playing that, (laughs) trying to get that, that pop. Um, Because, and today, even today I was at work and I, uh, I turned on a HBO Go on my phone and I can't watch HBO while I'm at work, but I can, I flipped it. You can close the app and it'll still play. You just can't watch it. And so I actually listened to that last scene again of this episode like a few hours ago before we recorded. And just and it, I was right in the middle of writing something and it still made me like my pencil like skip for a second when it happened. <laughs> yeah. it's like such a good sound effect. You guys nailed that sound too in that episode. I remember uh, commenting on the Foley work. Yeah, it was a, it's a, yeah. but the, I mean, if it wasn't for the, I rewound it like five times, honestly. How did you end up achieving it? Uh, it actually was the uh, is the it's the chicken, the chicken, and uh, w- most of almost every nasty sound in our in our show is literally a perfectly tasty uh, Kroger rotisserie chicken that's like just like a day <laughs> old, like we put in the refrigerator and we bring it in the booth, and it's got you know like when uh, the grease jellifies and that kind of thing. It's a little and slimy. We just, like right here on this mic, we just. <laughs> You know, oh, and gross. go back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's amazing the Love sounds it. you can get out of celery, uh, peeling an orange. Oh, celery! Yeah, yeah. yeah. celery is like the best bone snaps ever. This is the perfect episode for you to be on. Just to, for this commentary, <laughs> talking about bone <laughs> you know? snapping sound effects. Yep. We got fully expert yeah. over here. We're trying to be. We're 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 we're, we're amateurs, but we're getting there. That's awesome. Totally. Uh, so, it's awesome. my one of my points I had on this uh, on the Beatles scene uh, mm-hmm. was uh, the fact that uh, just like the the Ramsey scene earlier with the Boltons, legacy is brought up in this, like this between the brothers, like their legacy and father's legacy and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Like it, it's such just like an undertone. It feels like in this episode of you know, you know, here's Tyrion possibly ending the. Uh, you know, if if he doesn't take the black and all that kind of stuff and all the, the fairy tale thing that we learned in the other episode doesn't happen, which isn't as of right now going to happen. You know, and then you got the Boltons on this beautiful side looking through the north. What do you see? What do you see? And Total it's like, opposite. here's your yeah. name. You know, my son, you know, you know, Lord Ramsey Bolton, that kind of thing. And it's it's just crazy. The parallels between that. And uh, speaking of that, I looked up the Latin word. And it looks like it's cognata. Cognata. 
Yeah. So I guess it'd be cog for cousin? Yeah, cogicide <laughs> or cognicide. Cog cognicide. Cognaticide. Stigmata. So there you there you go, Jamie. Fucking righteous. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you um well we haven't released the last episode yet, but there's a scene where Tyrion and Jamie are talking and he's like, Imagine if you decided to be my champion, we could snuff out the Lannister line in, in oh, one swing yeah. of the sword, yep. putting you to death and me being, you know, killed as a result. It made me think of um Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid when they've got in a blaze of yep. glory at the end. Yeah, or Devil's you know Rejects. I mean? Oh, yeah, classic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, anything else uh, you guys want to add about this? Uh, I think I'm good. The Beatles. Oh. The only thing that I wanted to add about the Beatles scene is when Tyrion said, "Father droned on about the family legacy," and I thought about Orson's Beatles. It was horrible to see all these Beatles should be dying for no reason. And then, you know, you kind of fast forward to his dream and he goes, you know, I dreamt that I was standing on a beach made of beetle husks as far as the eye could see. I woke up crying, weeping for their shattered little bodies. And it just, it was really foretelling to me because, you know, later, very close here, we know that Tywin gets killed. But Tywin is the catalyst for a lot of deaths that have occurred in this show, whether it be for war or for main character's perspective. So I found a nice little correlation between the the beetle husks on the beach for as far as the eye could see to like basically all of the dead bodies that the Lannisters are responsible for. Mm, And Tywin being the head of that, you know, household. So... I just kind of liked that. So Tywin's like Orson in that situation? Kind of, in a way. Like, (laughs) that's that's good. Earlier on, you know, Tyrion does say, like, there was something happening there. He had his reasons, and I became possessed with knowing what they were. So, you know, he's basically saying, sure, Orson was simple, but he had his reasons for doing what he was doing. Tywin has his reasons for doing what he does and what the similarity between the two is, you know, they leave kind of dead bodies wherever they go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. All right. um, So that wrap up, uh, that wraps up my number two from my perspective, unless you guys want to talk about anything else about the Beatles. I think we're good. Someone grab Ringo down from the ceiling. Okay, let's move on to uh, Johnny, your uh, numero uno, my friend. My number one is uh, titled The Monsters Gain Large Victories. And I have nice. the Mountain, Ramsey Bolton, Baelish, <laughs> the Wildlings, oh. the Thin specifically. Great um, point. So in this episode, this is like when people say they don't watch anymore because it just feels like, you know, a, a, a masochist's <laughs> dream or sadist's yeah. dream. This is uh, this is one of those episodes that's just th- there's there's not a, I mean, there's a lot of beautiful moments like the way Winterfell looks when they're approaching it. But look what they're about to do to it. You know, I mean, Missande. <laughs> yeah. OK, that I guess that would be a that'd be a beautiful it. moment. Yeah. That, but there's so many just monster uh, monsters gaining large victories in this. I mean, yeah, I know I know time. that the mountain ends up you know catching the poison and all that, but 
for me, especially a you know a guy that has a horror enthusiast, I love the fact that I still, in my eyes, see that as a victory for the mountain because now he's going to become this like unstoppable, undead inhuman, beast. undead beast. Exactly. And yeah. I, I love that. Um, and I like the fact that, I mean, it's so much more than him just, you know, uh, busting the Red Viper's head open. And I, speaking of that, and you guys might know this more, is this the first time the words Red Viper are used on screen? Yes. Okay. Mm. They are. Because I know yeah. in the book it's all over the place, but when it, it kind of stood out when I was watching this episode, I'm like, they don't, oh. they're not calling him Martel, Martel. They're like Red Viper, Red Viper. It's like, man, they're they're saying that a lot. I guess to Red drive Rum. home, to drive home the title, the Mountain and the Viper, just in case you don't read the books and you don't know what the hell right, that means. Right. Um, so I Good thought point. that was kind of cool. Another uh, monster with a victory, um, you could say, to add to your list would be. Uh, Tywin, yeah, sa- uh, sabotaging Danny and Jorah. I just love Tywin too much to make him a monster. Oh, to to call him a monster, <laughs> dude. He is Tywin is in my top five favorite characters of the series. I love him. Understandably, he's a baller. Man, yeah. How about him in the books, man? Oh yeah, on on horseback oh, yeah. with his giant sh- clasps for his cape, yep. the shape of lions on his shoulders, like six inches tall. Yeah, my- and his giant red gold cape that covers drapes over the entire back of the horse all the way to the ground. Yeah, whenever you see those memes, they're like, this is what Tyrion looks like in the books. This is what he looks like on the show, you know. But whenever they get to Tywin, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, look at that. Yeah, Holy look at Tywin. Crap. Imagine, like at, imagine yeah. the way that guy looks with the uh, the actor's voice. And it'd be like the perfect yeah. Tywin. Just merge him. <laughs> yep, totally. Yeah, Tywin's a great character. But that's pretty much, I mean, we've talked a lot about those. I just, that, you know, it seemed to be a... Uh, overarching theme um, throughout it was, uh, you know, I mean, they could have made this, yeah, you I know, love stuff like that. The name of this episode could have been of, you know, the, the monster's victory and it would have just been perfect throughout. Yeah. You know, totally. I agree. hundred percent. Good, good, uh, good catch with that. What about you, Rachel? Anything uh, you want to add to that or you want to move on to your number one? No, I, I agree though. I mean, I kind of picked up on that theme too, that a lot of the sadists in this, show have kind of defining moments in this episode so really great catch johnny i that's not a yeah. part of my themes or number one Joffrey not being there yeah exactly <laughs> but it, it's definitely a, a very large vein that runs through this episode for sure so great catch yeah so my number one is the trial by combat awesome yeah and i just couldn't while this was kind of the name of the episode, I just couldn't go without having this in my top three, this episode, because it's it's really... Uh, Oberyn in this series is a shining bright light, and he burns yeah, very brightly. A shooting star. Yes, and... He kind of goes out as dramatically. You could say as he's the red comet. You could say he for, uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, uh, there you go. References. I like that <laughs> red nice. viper. Yeah, and that's, that's you know, so I, I just felt that he should be kind of my number one as kind of a farewell to really in this rewatch. He's become one of my more favorite characters. He's not on the show very long, but his personality and his demeanor and his worldliness i guess if you will makes him Mm -hmm. extremely intriguing and interesting and a great dynamic to 
a show that's fairly dark and rigid. So we we start this scene by Tyrion walking down kind of this dark hallway and going out to the, the fighting pit and in walks Oberyn and Aelia, or not Aelia, Alaria. Yep. And he goes, that looks like very light armor. And he goes, I like to move <laughs> yeah, around. First thing he says to him. <laughs> You know, you and then at he least goes, wear a helmet. which is a total, <laughs> you know, coup to how he ends up dying. What if he so, would have had a helmet on? I think the mountain <laughs> would have ripped it off. <laughs> yeah, but that would have took extra energy at that point to peel it back. Like, I also used to think, what if he didn't pull the spear out of him? It would have been as easy for him to flip over and all that. Yep. That's you true. Know. Oh, we pointed out in the last episode, um, Johnny, which you'll hear when you get the chance to listen to it after we release it. When Bronn meets with Tyrion, he he's running through all of the scenarios. He's like, well, maybe I could dance around him and get him tired, and maybe I could get him off his feet, but just one misstep, and it's it's mm. I'm dead, you know? And that's exactly, exactly what, happens. what happens. Oberyn dances around, he gets him on his back, and then he literally missteps, and the mountain swipes his leg out. Is Bronn, the leg. Is Bronn present? We don't um, see him in this scene. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't recall huh. seeing him. I don't either. I was wondering. I'm yes. sorry, Rachel. Oh, no, no, it, that's awesome. But he, he continues, um, you know, well, you could at least wear a helmet. And a huge reason that I love Oberyn is because he always does what he wants to do. And, like, for example, I always drink before a fight, you know, and <laughs> this makes him a really admirable character because I'm sure a lot of us out there wish that we could kind of be that free and that fleeting and just kind of live in the moment and do what we want, do whatever we want, whenever we want to do it. We want to go to this country. We go, if we want to spend time over here, we do it. Oberon is kind of the embodiment of that. Um, but on the other hand, it's also really dangerous. And we learned this lesson in this, you know, scene, but from a you know perspective of always doing whatever you want whenever you want to do it like that may lead you into trouble in our world you know you could get arrested <laughs> or shot or in a fight you know in in trouble so it kind of brings you back to reality that while Oberyn is an example of how cool living that way is like he dies pretty young in a very tragic right. way So he looks at um, Alaria and she's like, you're going to, you're going to fight that. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to kill that. And yeah, great line. She goes, he's the biggest man I've ever seen. And he goes, size does not matter when you're flat on your back. <laughs> and Tyrion goes, thank the gods. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about his, uh, his whoring, you think? Yes. Yeah, yes, exactly. Awesome. Um, you know, so we again just kind of see that Oberyn is very relaxed. He's very confident, which actually we talked about this scene earlier with Jamie and Tyrion, but Jamie makes that notion that Oberyn's very confident and he, or Tyrion basically goes, yeah, you think? (laughs) He's like way too confident. Yeah. And you know, to to that extent, 
over and goes, you know, today is not the day I die. Yeah, and which so, kind of mirrors that whole concept of telling death not today. I like exactly, that. exactly. I actually had that in my notes because when um, Arya is with, oh God, what's his Serio Pharrell. First Sword of Bravos, of the Sea Lord of Bravos. First Sword of Bravos. And he's Irish, apparently, today. So, and I had that in my notes is what do you say to the God of Death? You know, not today. Nice. So I thought that was a nice echo from the past. And then Q Pycelle. Hilarious. (laughs) Who just drones on and on. May the Father give them such justice as they deserve. And it, it actually cues over the, the camera cuts over to the, I, I'm going to call him a squire, um, the squire poisoning Yeah, I the called spear. him a squire, too. With a yeah. rag and his hand is gloved so he doesn't touch the poison. Exactly. And that was my cue. So I didn't catch that the first time I watched Game of Thrones, but the Definitely second not. time I was very curious why he had a glove on one hand mm-hmm. and not the other. So and like at its face, you could think, oh, because the spear is sharp, he doesn't want to cut himself. Sharp. But nope, it's because of that poison. I recalled all that stuff surrounding Joffrey's death. About we know that Oberyn is experienced with poison. Yep. So and and at this point, the second watch around, I knew that the mountain had been resurrected, and he was all purple and weird looking. So. We, we had all that information with, with Kyburn of the poison, so it, it kind of caught my attention the second time that that's what he was doing in that moment. And I love when Alaria goes, you know, don't leave me alone in this world. It was such a... She's Never genuinely responds. afraid for him. Yeah, you know? I mean, like she said, the biggest guy she's ever seen. Which he is. The biggest guy anybody's <laughs> ever seen. He's the, the biggest guy in Westeros, according to all yeah. accounts. There's no one He's bigger. one of the biggest guys on planet Earth, I would imagine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's up there. So, we, we, we start the actual trial by combat, and he goes, have they told... Or he starts flipping around, and <laughs> I mean, what an incredible fighter he is, as far as yeah. agility and quickness and speed and... You know, handling that spear, it's it was amazing to watch. And every time and he does it, he spins around and then he does that pose where the spear is like behind his back and outstretched yes. in his arm. And every time that that happens, I I swear the mountain sword is just going to come in from behind him, cut him down right there. Right. <laughs> He's like, fuck this. This is stupid. But we, we see it in that, you know, display that he is very confident and he's going to make this a show like yeah. this is entertainment he's going to kill the mountain he's going to make the mountain confess that it was tywin lannister who gave the order that is his goal here totally and if it wasn't so personal he w- it would have been like the no contest he had the, <laughs> the upper hand basically he the was whole dead, time essentially like, yeah if he would have just pulled the spear out and stabbed him again it would have been over but he he had a vendetta to settle with Tywin. Yeah. I mean, the mountain was the the catalyst to Tywin. I mean, yeah. really, he wanted the mountain to confess in front of everybody that Tywin Lannister. He's Tywin's dog. Exactly. He gave the orders to kill Aelia and do in and, and the children. He's pointing at him. 
who gave you the order? You know, pointing at Tywin, and Tywin looks visibly uncomfortable. It's maybe the most uncomfortable we see him in the whole series. I would not want to play poker with Tywin, though, because he has a pretty mean poker face. Like, we know he's kind of nervous (laughs) here, but, like... I mean, he's sitting there calm as a cucumber. We, You see a twinge of nervousness just because we've known this character for a while now, but he's just looking at him like, whatever. But I love when they first start that uh, Oberyn goes, have they told you who I am? And it's kind of pompous. Some you dead know? man. Some dead man. Wah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I love that. And it starts, you know... I am the brother of Aelia Martell. I am going to Montoya. hear you confess before you die. You raped her. You murdered her. You killed her children. And this is his mantra for mm-hmm. his reason, his reason for fighting the mountain. Um, and he says it over and over again. It's like fuel to fuel his adrenaline, to fuel his body, to kill this amazingly large man. And... I wanted to pause and ask, so the mountain slices the spearhead off, Mm -hmm. but Oberyn gets a second spear. And I feel like this is the first time that we've seen a one-on-one combat that someone's allowed to get a second weapon. So I was curious if that's normal or I'm sure like, the rules why that. would he get a second weapon? I feel like it's pretty uh, pretty standard and like uh, like honor among warriors where if you like if somebody damages a weapon like that a lot of times you're given a second one or you have the option at least as far as I know. Or it's like a hardcore match from like '90s wrestling. It's whatever's around goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If like if, if he would have picked a chair up and hit him with it or something, <laughs> some you chain, know. you know. In the uh, in the books, the mountain is just swinging his sword indiscriminately and like cuts off the head of some like young boy bystander. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I'm always curious about that on this show because, I mean, it's not a big spoiler, but. It's one of those things in the one of the times that the show one ups the books, and that's with obviously the the head pop, because all he does is, uh, and that's what I was okay to set the tone on this. When I was watching this live, that's why I got surprised. That's why anybody, no matter if you read the books or not, you got surprised by this scene because he says the same thing over and over, trying to get him confess and dancing around like Duncan just said, lobbing mountains, lobbing people's heads off, and <laughs> when it. When the when the time comes and it's very similar, but he just grabs Oberyn and punches him once and all the teeth fall out, which we see on screen. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, he's gonna do that again, you know, because so his head does not get popped. In his the books? head does not get popped in Damn, the books. I he just that. he he Good craters thing. it. They describe him cratering the head in with just the might of his fist, which okay. is cool in with itself, his gauntlet. but not like this. <laughs> I mean, this is a Damn. total different. Yeah. Wow. But I mean, so just even his, book his, readers are like, oh, what well, the yeah. fuck? There's no way a snooty book reader in that point would be in still smoking. Well, the books get it better. No. <laughs> the, the, show, the show killed it there, man. Literally. <laughs> such a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, too, is, is like the it's Oberyn's scream, like, because he's so confident and everything. And then all of a sudden, he's fucking screaming. And the fact that he was just so cool and collected and now he's screaming, that is uh, very off putting in itself. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
you know, so just he finally gets the mountain on his back and he goes, no, no, you can't <laughs> die yet. No, 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 you no, haven't no, no. confessed, yes. you know, and, you know, he starts screaming, you raped her, you killed her, you murdered her children. You know, who gave you the orders? Who gave you the orders? And he's pointing at Tywin and he's pacing around. And, you know, like you said, he makes a fatal misstep and just gets clearly knocked right off his feet. And then it's just his head smashed like a watermelon. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Well, I mean, he, he, he got greedy. I mean, at that moment, he's more worried about his, his own, like, goals in that moment than you know why he decided to you know i mean just if 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 the him asking that question in almost a court of public opinion like that where people were gonna go what is he talking about once his head got popped everyone forgot forgot entirely no one cared anymore like that horror erased all of it you know no one's gonna like tywin what was he getting at before his head exploded yeah yeah true and then it's just gone after the head pops yeah. So he really fucked up, even if the mountain was to live not as a zombie, he really fucked up any chance of fixing all that by his own pride and greed and all that in that situation. And he just chilled out for a second. I think that it's, uh, along with greed, I think that the major thing is overconfidence in this part. He uh, Completely. You know, he uh, He's greedy, but as long as he stays focused and on it like the greed is okay but it yeah it gets but to the he's point, been in the fighting pits you know yeah I yeah mean. yeah so, yeah so it gets to the point where the mountain's down the spear is in him he pulls the spear out and he thinks that like he's got it you know and he's just like his confidence is way up it's like um you know the, the mountain's like playing possum almost like just letting him yep. get comfortable and there's a moment the moment right before the mountain sweeps his leg out with his arm He's like, you raped her, you killed her. And then he looks up at Ilaria and smiles like, like this is about to happen. I'm doing it. And they have like a, a warm moment for a split second there. And it's right then that the mountain knocks his, his foot out. Yep. And he, and he drops. And instead of rolling away from the mountain, he sort of rolls towards him to get up. And he grabs him by the throat, pulls him over the top, whacks him, knocks all his teeth out. And the teeth... And blood just spill out, and the teeth just clatter down everywhere. Yeah. And it's in that same type of thing where there was the uh, the shot of Sansa focused with Baelish out of focus in the background. Same thing happens here. The teeth clank to the ground in perfect focus, and Ilaria is out of focus in the background. And she her hands shoot up to her face in preparation for her just death wail that, like... Her widow's wail, you know. Oh that, my god! And for sure. uh, it's like, oh man, her and her in the background, lifting her, recoiling, and in in out of focus is just super super eerie. And then it's compounded by like that scream and the close up of her face, which is <laughs> just so crazy, man. Crazy. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up my number one notes. Nice. Johnny, so got something else to add? So, yeah, on that scene, uh, I think it's funny because Tywin, as much as you wouldn't think it, Tywin is the comedic relief in all of this. First off, he cuts off the dude when he's doing when doing the blessing. Yeah. He, just, <laughs> oh, yeah. he, just, he, he pulls the Emmy music, like, <laughs> shut this guy up. 
<laughs> yeah. And then and then at the end, even when he's like Tyrion Lannister, he's just so just Tyrion Lannister, you're gonna die. Yeah. Have a nice day. You know, it's just, <laughs> you know, like you said, Thug Life just puts the glasses on and scene, bitches. It's just he's like got the perfect timing in both of those things. So I think it's funny that I saw it like laugh out loud humorous, but like when you've watched it five times in a row like me, it's like <laughs> That's funny. Like, yeah, totally. It, it's supposed to be a serious delivery, but just his timing's like, this dude just head exploded. Everybody's freaking out, and he's like, you're going to die. And same thing happens with <laughs> Stannis a lot, you know, f- fewer. Yeah. Hilarious moments that aren't, like, necessarily supposed to be funny, and, and Stannis mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily intend it to be funny, but it, they're fucking hilarious. Yeah, I know yep. exactly what you're talking about. I think it's also yeah. worth mentioning, you know, we're always covering historical parallels and references of things in history that happened in the show this scene instead of referencing a piece of real history they're referencing the princess bride and inigo montoya who who is his whole mission in life is to track down the guy who killed his father instead of the guy who killed his sister and he repeats his Uh. lines over and over just like oberon martel in the same exact accent oberon is totally based on inigo montoya I will go up to the six-fingered man and say, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello. My name is Diego Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello! My name is Diego Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! That That's sense. so funny. You know, it's just, just you killed her, you right. raped her, you murdered her children. You know, the same fucking yep. thing. It's so great. Just love these funny parallels, and it's 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 just funny to me when George decides to reference like a piece of comedy from pop culture in his own work instead of like Greek mythology or European history or some some highbrow type shit. He's, he's referencing the Princess Bride. We'll just call this section comedy. Between the lines. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Awesome. That most, co- that the, the, you know, the very comedic part of the mountain and the viper, which part? The end? <laughs> what? Oh. No. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think it's also worth mentioning how thrilled Jamie was through most of this because Jamie is like a connoisseur of fighting. And he's an expert swordsman, or at least he was. I mean, he's still an expert. He's just not capable uh, to the extent he was. It was, but he is amazed by Oberyn. Like he pulls off his whirly, whirly gigging, spinning, jumping stuff in the beginning, and Jamie's smiling. And then as it goes on, and he's cutting the mountain's tendons and stabbing him and dodging away and everything, and jumping over the sword and flipping and spinning, Jamie is just like loving it. It's just so funny. And then. 
You know, Tyrion, right off the bat, after he does his spinny thing and does that pose with the spear out, Tyrion has like a, a flicker of a smile on his face where you can tell he's like excited uh, and oh yeah. confident, but still nervous. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Great acting. Ilaria is just terrified through the whole thing. Tywin looks pissed while the while the mountain is losing. Um, and yeah, just the people's reactions are really interesting throughout it. And Tyrion oh, wow. has like an even more brutal re- reaction in the books to the end. He just like tosses his cookies all over the place. Like he yep. he gets physically sick watching what happens to the mountain. Yeah, how could you not? Mm-hmm. What were you gonna say, Johnny? Oh, I was gonna say uh, that's all I had on on actually on that scene. Believe it or not. Cool. Yeah, I think that's pretty much uh, everything that I have too. Um, I got uh, over that- Knox's helm off. Just kind of cool. Was that your number one? Was that was that the scene? Um, that was Rachel's number one. Okay. My so what's number your number one, one? Is um the the subversion of tropes, just in general. Obviously, okay. uh, okay. You know, one of the big tropes is that you expect the hero to be saved and to come out victorious. So the fact that Oberyn loses this fight against the mountain is a huge trope subversion. Um, you, you expect the D- David to come out on top and beat Goliath. You know, you expect, sure. you expect the hero to win. You expect Ned Stark to, <laughs> to defeat Cersei. Um, this show subverts tropes like nobody's business, which is why it's so famous really. Yep. And um, there's just, there's another more subtle trope subversion that I liked. And it's when, um, Literally, right when we get to Arya and the Hound, um, she's saying her first line, I thought it would make me happy, but it doesn't. Not really. Nothing makes you happy. Lots of things make me happy. Like what? Killing Polliver? Killing Rorge? <laughs> so you think that <laughs> the last thing we saw her do was kill Rorge. So when right. it opens up on her saying, I thought it would make me happy... Most people are probably thinking, oh, yeah, like, she's probably talking about killing Rorge. Like, I killed him. I got my revenge. I thought it would make me happy, but it didn't make me feel any better. But what she's really talking about, as the Hound says, so you're sad because you didn't get to kill Joffrey yourself. So it's not that killing somebody didn't make her happy. It's that not killing her (laughs) made made her unhappy. That's that's a good one. That's a good one. Right? You know, there's like that whole thing like, oh, you could could take the low road and get revenge and do something, but it's not going to make you happy. So be the better person, you know, like what your mom tells you. And here, that's what you're expecting. And then it's the exact opposite. It's like she didn't, she wasn't the better person. She didn't get a chance to kill Joffrey. And that's what's making her upset. So I just thought that that was a really... Funny little uh, trope subversion subversion as well. Well, the, the another one is like I kept expecting there to be a scene when I first watched this episode that when she's out down there laughing because her aunt Lysa's dead. That we're <laughs> oh that, my god. That well, that we're gonna cut to another scene and then we're gonna cut back and that it would be the Hound and her in the Eerie, like facing the people we just saw in this trial. Right. Like, like I thought at least that was gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, you know, I was kind of, I mean, you books wise, but I mean, I was like, man, maybe the the show's going to go there. Like the way they have this, the Sansa situation and all this, like right now, all 
the stuff in one place at one time. I thought for a moment there, like, subverted me that we were going to see Arya and, and Sansa, you know, unite, like, right. in that episode or the following one kind of thing. Right. Sub- subverted expectations. Totally. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Because, I mean, what made, uh, speaking of that scene, like, what made them go, well, okay, turn around. Like, I guess they thought <laughs> if, if she's dead, every every person in the Eyrie is an enemy of, like, that would be in league with the Lannisters? Or, or maybe, I think uh, the Hound is still trying to find someone to sell Arya to. Oh, uh, okay. No yeah. one's buying now. He's like, ah, oh, dead end. You know, no money here. Let's move on. Try the next yeah. place. Okay. There's no see. place. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, it's one possible explanation. Yeah, it's too bad that word never got up to the veil, because uh, Sansa would have been like, "Oh my god, get get her up here," you know, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I mean she throws her through the moon door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's ah, true. I forgot that Oberyn was in the fighting pits. I'm looking at the script here, and I'm seeing this. That's funny. He said that to Tyrion. Was that? Uh, last episode where he says, uh, you know, if you're ever in the fighting pits, no, he says that in this episode when he's getting ready, he says something like, uh, uh, when he, when he's saying you're going to drink, you know, yeah, exactly. uh, and he's like, uh, you, do you ever drink before a fight? And he says something like, uh, uh, if, if, if Tyrion, if you ever end up in the fighting pits, you know, something along those lines, which is funny because. If I remember right, in Tyrion in the fighting pits, oh when, yeah, uh, Daenerys rec- rescues him later. Yeah, he's totally like, in the fighting. That's pits. That's right. Yeah. So I wonder if he got drunk before he went in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, knowing Tyrion, he definitely tried. Yeah. <laughs> so this was for you, Oberyn. Pours the wine. I'm going in the fighting pit. <laughs> totally. That'd be so funny. That'd be a great little like cartoon or something. This little short little animation. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up my number one. Uh, yeah. Just the subversion of tropes. We get all kinds of good stuff like that in this episode. Yeah. Oh, there's another funny moment too when Pycelle is introducing the situation. In the sights of gods and men, we gather to ascertain the guilt or innocence of this man, <laughs> Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> it's like he he's like hesitating as if reluctant to even call him a man. Call him a man, yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. He's like so despicable and so horrible and the half man and this twisted demon monkey, you know, it's just I just thought that was a great little hesitation. Very clever yeah, he's, uh, delivery. He's a good actor, man. He's so Yeah. Good. Totally and <laughs> Tywin signals the horn guy to cut him off. <laughs> he just stops yep. talking. <laughs> yeah it's the best uh so let's uh move on to notes anybody got okay. notes you want to talk about there's a bunch of stuff I we didn't cover yet have so. a bunch of stuff actually okay cool because i burned through most of mine when we were uh talking like i found a way to tie my Beatles story thing in and the hangnail for a cock and all that kind of stuff <laughs> nice well i'm awesome. sure you'll have stuff to, th- to say when we start talking about Evil things Elijah sure Wood. Nice. So the first kind of, I tried to pair my notes together because in this episode we get kind of the same characters, but in different parts of the episode. So I wanted to talk a little bit about when Lord Royce and that little old lady, that cute old lady and Baelish are walking down the stairs in the Eerie and they're talking about how 
Lysa, with her paranoia, essentially has kept the eerie and the, you know, the good houses out of the fray. And you've, by doing that, they've allowed Tywin Lannister to, to destroy all of his rivals on every compass point. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, good point. You know, which is very true because Baelish goes kind of into, you know, when when the Eyrie rode next to Robert Baratheon and Ned Stark, they overthrew one of the greatest dynasties there ever was. And for the longest time, you've been sitting on the sidelines. You guys are amazing fighters. Yeah, like imagine like, what we could have accomplished if you were with us that whole fucking time. You've just basically allowed Tywin to run amok through Westeros. And, you know, Royce kind of gets kind of pissy at this. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, you don't think we're... You know, good fighters. Are you questioning like, our honor and shit? Yeah. And, you know, to Lord Baelish's point, it's like, no, I just want you to get your asses in gear and... They're questioning our courage, it was. Yeah, questioning your courage. And he goes, well, who would you have us back? Because, of course, we don't support the damn Lannisters. Right. You know, he goes, I'd have you back Robin Aaron. <laughs> and, you know, he goes, Robin Aaron is, you know, a young, sickly boy. And I loved Lord Baelish's... Uh, quote here he goes sometimes sickly boys become powerful men which is a huge coup to himself because we we have come to find up to this point that he was a sickly little boy he was small kind of meek and skinny and mm -hmm. we we get that when they talk about um brandon stark ripping him from you know neck to navel or navel mm -hmm. to neck maybe he wasn't necessarily like quote unquote sickly but he was definitely like if not sickly like weak and tiny like you were saying which is sure you know, the, the equivalent for the sake of this discussion sure because i'm not really sure is robin described in the books as more sickly like does he get sick he a has lot? Uh, he has a seizure disorder oh, and they're constantly okay. feeding him more and more milk of the poppy and stuff got it okay that makes more sense then because i took when he said sickly little boys, I took it as more just like meek and meager and tiny and afraid, you know? Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes more sense why you made that distinction. They're giving him but, milk of the poppy and essence of nightshade, I think it is. Something that's like deadly in higher quantities. And Baelish keeps upping in the doses and upping, upping, upping the <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> it's great. Baelish has another yeah. great line in this scene that's worth mentioning, too. Uh, he's like, uh, uh, they're like, sorry, unto you as well, Baelish. Um, we're sorry. You know, we treated you a bit harshly. And he's like, you want justice, Lord Royce. I can hardly complain about that. It's like the perfect thing you'd say if you want to just play somebody and like <laughs> make them think you're on your side when it was really you the whole time. Yes. <laughs> Good lie. Absolutely. So I, I do love that when... Towards the end of their conversation, Baelish goes to Lord Royce. It's time for Robin to leave the nest. Yeah, and yeah, I that's thought great. that was such a great because they're like up in this ginormous yeah. castle on the top of this built into this mountaintop. Very and his apt name metaphor. is Robin. <laughs> yep, which is a type of bird, and it's time for him to leave the nest, which was just a nice little sentiment there. Yeah, perfectly worded. Yeah. Also going, you know, just being on the topic of Robin Aaron, I liked the scene when Baelish and 
Robin are talking and, you know, you can see that some of Lady Lady Aaron's paranoia has seeped into her son. You know, I'm a it's scary down on the ground. I don't want to go down there. Like I'm afraid to die, basically. And Baelish goes, people die. People die at their dinner tables, die in their beds, squatting over their chamber pots. Mm. Which, foreshadowing. Which is totally foreshadowing. Two episodes know, from now. Yep. Everybody dies sooner or later, which I thought was, you know, kind of interesting for him to say as well since Vala he ends Margulis. up dead. Oh, there you go. There you go. Um, but he goes, don't worry about your death. Worry about your life. Yes. Take charge of your life for as long as it lasts. That is what it means to be Lord of the Vale. Wonderful and line. I, I loved that. I mean, even though it's coming from kind of a slimy character, it's very true. Mm -hmm. You know, you shouldn't worry about your death. You worry about your life and you take charge of it and you just... Do the best you can. And it also parallels Oberyn perfectly, considering what you're talking about. Jet setting, going around, doing what he wants. Yes. Even in this episode, he's not worried about dying. He's worrying about accomplishing his mission, making the most of his life, and avenging his, his fallen sister. You know, he never considers he's going to die. What? <laughs> Kept babbling on about his mission. <laughs> what are you referencing? Star Wars. Uh, whenever uh, R2 escapes and uh, Luke comes in there. Where'd he go? I don't know. He kept babbling on about his mission. <laughs> he raped her. Murderer. Killed yeah, yeah. her. <laughs> Classic. But then um, we also, I know we talked about Sansa's dress earlier, but we I also noticed, which I didn't notice before, surprisingly enough, Sansa has dyed her hair in this, you know, scene. Her oh, hair yeah. is black. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know what made me not realize that before, but I know her hair was dyed at some point, but I didn't realize <laughs> that she died it here at the Eerie. Yeah. <laughs> so yep, this is it. that was a total light bulb for me. I was like, Oh, her hair is black. It matches her black <laughs> dress, which kind of reminded me like of a Raven almost with the feathers oh, cool. coming off the sleeves or of off the shoulders. And she had this big chain kind of around her neck, which the maesters use Ravens to send their messages. So it was, mm -hmm. Kind Ooh. of an interesting... And her brother's a Thread Raven. And her uh, her other brother is a crow. Crow. <laughs> <laughs> a crow. So yeah, so that's all the notes that I had on the Lord of the Vale. Nice. The Lord of the Vale. Yeah, that was a great scene. I like that too. Let's see yeah. what my notes. I think my first notes are talking about when we're back at Castle Black and um, Sam is just beside himself. I should have never left her there. You, know, you couldn't have known. Of course I could have known. And they've been raiding the villages close by and they're talking about all this stuff and the, you know, Pip and Gran and Dolorous Ed and John are all there and they're talking about all this stuff and everything that they're saying is just flying right by Sam, who just continues having this own this conversation about what he's talking about. You know, I'm, I'm saying they shouldn't have been there. We've pledged to guard the realms of men. She's dead because of me. You know, he just keeps going <laughs> <just> ignoring it. <laughs> we can't even guard Molestown. We, we can't go after them. You know that. It's what they want. And little Sam. <laughs> it's as if I cut their throats myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he's just stuck on this. 
And so uh, they end up all trying to encourage him that, you know, she survived a white walker, for fuck's sake. She survived the long march to the wall. She survived Craster. And he was the worst shit I've ever met. You know, <laughs> she might have got out. Yeah, and luckily, one good thing that happens in this uh, in this story is she does escape. And she ends yep. up finding her way back to Sam. So there's always some light in the darkness, you know, <laughs> some hope. You know, and uh, it it happens, so that was pretty cool. And uh, they yeah. get they go on to talk about mole about uh, Manson's army must be close. John realizes a hundred thousand of them, and there's what a hundred five of us left, and, uh, and that's really really bad odds. It made me think of the Battle of Thermopylae, with the story of the three hundred, the Spartans. Mm. Oh yeah, mm-hmm, where okay. they hold the pass. And yep. kill tens of thousands of, of Persians, and it's the same thing here. The pass would be the wall, the tunnel under the wall, and all they've got to do is hold the pass to to in- prevent the invading army from coming through. The Persians, the wildlings. So uh, yeah, it's like it's the Battle of Thermopylae next episode, and the, the Watchers on the Wall, as a very small number of people are trying to defend a pass from people who want to invade and get through. Um, so yeah, it just made me think of the Battle of Thermopylae on steroids. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's just really cool. It also brings thoughts of Winterfell to mind, to where they say that five hundred men could defend Winterfell against ten thousand. It also mm. reminds me of the Eerie too, with the Bloody Gate. It yep. doesn't matter how big your army is; you have to go through this narrow yep, strip of exactly. land, you know, ten shoulders wide. And it, it doesn't matter. You're just going to get slaughtered because there's just no way up to the Erie other than through this really narrow canyon. Right. They call it the Bloody Gate because of the entire armies that have been wiped out there over the thousands of years since the Aarons have ruled the Vale. And uh, God damn, like just that whole that 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 pass is soaked with blood. You know, at the Bloody Gate. Like historically, yes. there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people have been killed there. So that was a cool uh, little scene, and uh, <laughs> Dolorous Ed has a great line. Whoever dies last, be a good lad and burn the rest of us. Once I'm done with this yeah. world, I don't want to come back. And I'm like, that's a good call on Ed. <laughs> He's a great character. Yeah, it's very, very ominous. Yeah, oh yeah. And next, we uh, we get to the the best scene of the episode. <laughs> yes, the, the, the river scene, Miss Sunday, and oh, all of her man. glory. And Grey Worm is just freaking hilarious, man. Like he's staring at her boobs, <laughs> and he's just like in a trance, just like oh, like they're bouncing, like the bouncing ball on the like those videos with the music, you know, like follow the bouncing ball, sing along. He's just like <laughs> following the bouncing boobs, and he's in a trance, and she catches him and looks up at him. And they sort of just stand there looking at each other for a few seconds. And she co- she finally, like, covers herself. And it's at this, this point where Grey Worm becomes, like, exceedingly uncomfortable. And I, <laughs> I thought that his uh, his performance here was amazing. Like, his, his eyes, they dart away, and then they slowly, like, flicker back, and then they dart away again. 
It's like he he's trying to resist looking, but he can't resist. And at the same time, he's looking back to see how she's reacting to you know, and like he's like, does she know? I think she knows. I know she knows. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, just brilliantly uh, acted, and then he just sinks down into the water, sinks under the water, deflated, yeah. just defeated. It, yeah, deflated and uh, perfectly, you know, visually showing metaphorically the way that he like. He's just crushed and <laughs> just amazing. Yeah. Oh, man. And she is just beautiful. She's got a nice booty, too. I was going to say, she has the really perfect nice. body, for sure. She's got boobies and a butt. Yeah, and a beautiful face, too. She's got the full that package. And she speaks yes, 17 she... languages. Well, there you go. Freaking <laughs> Sunday. What up? See, I'm not all about looks. You know, I'm attracted by her intelligence as well. That's yeah. good of you. Of course. So I have a little bit of notes on this scene as well. Um, Danny does shed some insight onto how her sexuality was developed by the Dothraki because she doesn't think the naked body should be shamed. You know, the Dothraki make love in front of the Kalasar under, under the, the stars. stars for everyone to see. She goes, you know, it's a good thing because, you know, at least he wasn't interested in. Masande goes. He was interested, <laughs> and uh, just uh, just for reference, you get all a lot more details about making love under the stars for the whole Kalasar to see in the books. Yes, you do. I remember <laughs> that for sure. Isn't that when she conceives her child? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, and I know we had talked about this. Was it last episode, Duncan, about castrating whether the uh, I don't know if it was last all, episode, or... but it was definitely recently. Okay, so the actual Webster's Dictionary of to castrate is the removal of the testicles. So it does not say, like, the removal of the penis. And when they discuss the unsullied, they always talk about castrating them. Mm. So to me, Interesting. If, if we're taking a literal definition, I think that they still have the pillar and not the stones fucking hope so yeah which would actually lead into the point that you were talking about that it leaves it might you think that they take all of it because it might lead to you know other thoughts yeah well that's kind of showed here because he's sitting there staring at a naked woman who he ends up kind of falling in love with so but he seems like deterred you know, because he may not be able to actually do anything about it. You know, like even at the sure. end when when they meet and he apologizes and everything, and she's like, "I'm glad yeah. you saw me," and he's like, "So am I." But he turns defeated and like still walks out because he probably doesn't have a dick and he can't do anything about it. It's fucked up. Yeah. So I mean, you can still take it either way, but I always go back to after they have their little sex scene. And Danny goes, you know, like, well, what happened? And Masande goes, many things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, many things. Well, he's got many like, fingers, you know? <laughs> I know, but... <laughs> and a tongue. And- I know this sounds really, like, I guess, stupid to look at it like this way, maybe. But I always thought it was, like, well, if you if you castrate them, like, take the pillar, too. If these are supposed to be soldiers... How like much more is this gonna make it harder for them to relieve themselves when they're out on patrol or they're invading? It seems a whole lot easier just to to cut the nuts off and neuter them basically than to make it where you're gonna have to make 
weird armor accommodations for squatting and all these other things you're going to have to do by relocating that stuff or it's not like there's master surgeons floating around everywhere there so one of the other things though that they say is that the unsullied don't rape when they conquer cities unlike other um you know invading armies who when they sack a city will rape a lot of the people in there do you think that's because of their training and lack of testosterone like their blood is pumping I think it's because they're physically incapable because okay. I think that removing the uh, the full genitalia would rem- would uh, also eliminate that 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 possibility from their minds. So even if the thought crossed their minds, they wouldn't go through with it because they can't basically. Know interesting. I mean? Okay. Yeah, I I see it, but I just found it interesting cuz we hear, you know, did they take the pillar and the stones? Like Right. That they're they're wondering themselves. So and that's I've, just that's just them like calling out to the audience at that moment. Like, aren't y'all curious too? <laughs> yeah, yeah, meta, meta. I am. Just, <laughs> yeah, Miss Sunday's the audience. She's like, yeah, I thought about it. I thought about it a lot. I'm thinking about it right now. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, this this is a good. This is a funny scene. It's an awkward scene, too, when he comes to apologize. And like you were saying, you know, I'm glad you saw me. And there's a really beautiful moment, though. Like, yeah, even their conversation leading up to that about, you know, I never taught you the word precious. You know, Jorah the Andal taught me this word. You know, when they cut you, do you remember that? No. And she says she says she's sorry it happened, right? And he goes on this thing like butterfly effect type thing where like if the masters never cut me, I'm never unsullied. I never stand in the plaza of pride when Daenerys Stormborn ordered us to kill the masters. I never am unchosen. I never am chosen to lead the unsullied. I never meet Missandei from the island of Nath. And it's just a it's a really like amazing moment. It's simple and loving and profound and. It shows like the depths and of like not the depths, but how far one would go to sacrifice, you know, for love and for their soulmate. And like he's fine with being castrated because it means that he's in the presence of of this person who he's, he loves, and just the power of that, where like you'd be willing to give up something that central to like your being until like necessary for existence and procreation and like the core mission of life forms which is to reproduce it's super powerful yeah. that that he's yeah. okay with it because he's there with her now and that's all he wants you know it's it's sim- sort of similar the way that bran seems to like have come to terms with his uh his crippling because it's it's part of his mission and it's part of getting him to where he needs to go and just the way that these people have like rationalized their their trauma in uh and justified it and found it to be worth it for for the end goal is just uh it's really powerful like i said and it's it's beautiful that they're they're connecting and able to to come together and it's just you know it's um lined with the sadness that yeah, he's yeah. he's castrated and it's 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 right. a beautiful and sad all all mangled up into one thing and it's like how do you like you know how do you even process all this right yeah it's crazy yeah beautiful connection overshadowed by the sad fact that they can't necessarily connect in the traditional way and you can see that they're both really happy that they've made this connection but they're both also really sad that 
they know that it has limitations even yeah. in in the happiness that they they're finding with this new connection like they're both still really like you can see it they're sad about about it it's 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 fucked up <laughs> it is yeah super fucked up but it's a really powerful moment he's you know i, I apologize I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for today. I'm sorry. And he, he walks out, and as he's walking out, Grey Worm, I'm glad you saw me. You know? It's <laughs> just an amazing moment. What? Yeah. Well, she did She did stand up, which I found interesting. And, yeah, that was like her reflex. staring at her. She, yeah. I don't know if I would have stood up. She, I might have, uh, like, sat down. <laughs> her, I think that she, like, her reflex is like she... She knows that she likes him already, probably, and it's 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 like a, one of the subtle things about body language is if you're like sitting with somebody, that you tend to like face the person that you are like attracted to or interested in talking to subconsciously, like your your legs and your torso will be pointing. Yeah, your towards legs that will person. cross towards that person. Right. So she sort of possibly like they make this connection and sort of subconsciously she turns open face to him. As just like that, just signifies the like the the interest or the mutual interest. She may not have been intention intentional, but it signifies what's going on like inside, kind of. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cool. All right. We got, what else you got for notes? Um, let me see. When I know we talked a little bit about Ru, uh, not Ruth, but Ramsey being naturalized. And I found this kind of an interesting feeling watching this because we know that Ramsey is a psychopath and we know that he's crazy and he's hard not to like, or he's, he's hard to like. I mean, he's pretty much a well-known disliked character. But right. when he finds out that his father is, you know, honoring him and taking him as his own, I did get this little twinge of, like, I was kind of happy for him. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was very fleeting, but it was kind of like he's done all this work to make his father proud. His father rubs it in his face all the time that he's a bastard. He's Roos's only son, and Ramsey knows that, but it's like he keeps doing these, you know, like, our banners or have the flayed man on it. He's like... Not our banners, my banners. You're a bastard. Right. So I, I feel like this was a very fleeting feeling for Ramsey of kind of being recognized for his work for his house, whether how unorthodox or extreme it was. And I also feel like it's the catalyst to propel Ramsey into becoming even kind of more of a psychopath. Yeah. Especially like when Sansa getting um like uh validation to his insanity sort of. Yes, yes. So it's kind of a double-edged sword here. It's like you have a fleeting moment of happiness for him, but then you also realize the remaining terrible things that he has yet to do, and I feel like it this is kind of a springboard this scene for for that. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I like that interpretation. Mm. The only other note that I wanted to make here was when Roos is saying, tell me what you see. And Ramsey's like, 
freaking hills, nothing. I don't know what you're getting at. And he goes, the north. He goes, 700 miles that way, you're still in the north. You go 400 miles this way, you're still in in the north. You go 300 miles this way, and you're still in the north. The north is larger than all, than the other six kingdoms combined. Yeah, that's a pretty key thing. And the north is mine. That's insane. I didn't realize that the North was like half the half the country, essentially. Yeah, it's it's monstrous. We didn't we never really got that perspective on the show until this point. Yeah, good point to bring up. Oh, I remembered what I was gonna say. Um it's it the uh basically the whole bastard thing, how he keeps rubbing it in Ramsey's face, it's just a control mechanism. Sure, you know, of course it is. It's just a way that he can manipulate him to get him to do what he wants, dangling the the you know the hot dog from the from the stick, the string the on the sausage, end of the stick. Duncan, yeah, the sausage. The sausage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the dog, you just get you know, make Ramsey do whatever he wants if he mm-hmm. you can you know dangling that uh, legitimization from the end of the stick there. Yep, just funny for sure. Yeah, so that's you know, and uh, they, we also find you know that. There's no word from Locke, and he's likely dead, so they're just moving right. on. That the Starks are just not a threat anymore. Yep, nope, not a big deal. Yep. And it's funny too when he tells Ramsey, What do you see? Moors, fields, hills. No, tell me, what do you see? Nothing. <laughs> he just doesn't <laughs> fucking get it, dude. Like, you know no. what I mean? Like, he is no. that is a sociopath right there. No question about it. And yes. uh, so he gives him the scroll. From this day until your last day, you are Ramsay Bolton, son of Roose Bolton, Warden of the North. And he said, you honor me. I swear I will uphold your name and your tradition. I will be worthy of you, Father, I promise. So his name and his traditions. Traditions like flaying people, like treachery and... <laughs> Torture. And, and he totally... <laughs> He totally upholds his traditions by even being treacherous to his father and killing his father killing him all. <laughs> yes. yeah. in the near future, which is hilarious to me. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And then he's like, come on, Reek, I'll be needing a bath. Bath. Oh, creepy. So creepy. There's that There's that little sexual tinge between the between Ramsey and Reek, too. Yep. He's like, come and bathe me now, Reek. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's super, super creepy. Yeah. Also hilarious. Yeah. Do you have any more notes, Duncan? Yeah. So next we move on to Arya and the Hound. And we talked about the first part with the trope subversion, how she uh how not killing people makes her unhappy or doesn't make her feel any better. Um but after that there She uh, says I want I wanted to see the look in the eyes when he knew it was over. Yeah, that's a key moment and I Nothing in the world beats that look, the hound says. Yep. So they, they relate. They're starting to relate, you know, and she's she's understanding him. He's off the list at this point, you know. Hmm. That's one thing that we determined, uh, Johnny, last episode, when she wants to burn his wound and she's actually caring for him and trying to help him heal. Um, that's how you get off the list? Yeah, that's the moment where he, he sort of breaks down and has a PTSD episode and he's describing how his brother burned him and everything and that's the moment where Arya like for sure he's off the list she's sympathizing with him at that moment and seeing him as just like the tortured soul that he is and relating to him and she's like begging him to let her heal him as opposed to trying to stab him like just a couple episodes before I thought it was what the fuck salami (laughs) (laughs) you had me at what the fuck salami (laughs) (laughs) totally that might have to be one of my favorite if not my favorite 
quotes in the whole series. Oh yeah, it's just great. What the fuck, salami? Oh what yeah, the fuck salami. Great one. And Matthew Rep, I think, said, "What the fuck, salami?" I liked the way he wrote that, like salami. That was cool. So uh, they're moving on. Let's see. Uh, they're talking about. She asks the hound if, you know, she says you protected him, Joffrey, for most of his life. You think you could have saved him? And she, right. and he's like, he's like, I it wasn't his damn wine taster, which is funny. Although he would have been. He loves drinking wine. He would yep. have volunteered for that shit. Little shit deserved to die, but poison, poison's a woman's weapon. And he's right, because we know who's responsible. Uh, the the Queen of Thorns, Lady Olena, which is just a funny little thing there. Like a, It's a trope, you know, that poison is a woman's weapon, but the right. Hound is totally right in this episode. And she's just like, well, I'd kill him with a chicken bone if I Yeah, had yeah. He's like, men kill with steel. And she's like, that's your stupid pride talking. It's why you'll never be a great killer. Although he is a great and prolific killer. Yeah. And she says, like you said, I'd have killed Joffrey with a chicken bone if I had to. And it's just like a cool different like perspective of like the you know the different ways that they think about stuff. Well, the fact that she said that she just wanted to be there and watch the life go out of his eyes or whatever yeah. she said. <laughs> yeah, so creepy. I wouldn't sleep anywhere near her, that's for sure. At, uh, least, at least not no. if I had wronged her. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. So he, he has a funny response to her chicken bone line. I'd pay good money to see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Um, and so he they go on to talk about um, Liza. This is before they got there. And she's like, you really think that she'll pay for me? He's like, aye, she'll pay. And, uh, and she's like, I've never even met her. He's like, it doesn't matter. You're a blood, family, honor, all that horse shit. So, of course, he's referencing the Tully words, family, honor, duty. Just a cool little reference there to those, like kind of hidden within the text. They'll, they like to do that type of thing. And then uh, they get to the bloody gate and <laughs> my condolences, Lady Aaron died three days ago. And the hound looks fucking bummed because there goes his paycheck. And Arya just starts laughing out loud. And it's like kind of like, it's not funny, but what's funny is the irony of her terrible timing is the way that I perceived it. Because like every time she arrives at one of these destinations, her family members have just been killed, basically. <laughs> yeah, she's in that, that, that like shock of... Uh... I don't know how to feel about this, but what the fuck? I mean, this fuck my life, like literally. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like she shows up at the at the red wedding, and her family's dead there. She shows up at the veil here, and Liza's dead, and it's just like too much, and she just like has to laugh about it, you know. <laughs> and she does laugh. She's just cracking up. <laughs> yeah, you know, like she could be Harley Quinn in this moment. And everyone's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. She cackles like crazy. The director's cut of like one of the current seasons or so and walk into the gates of Winterfell. There's Sansa walking up to like something would have fell on her. Like, what? Really? This is still happening? <laughs> Wait, what? What? I said it would be funny, like like right when she's about to meet Sansa and oh, it's in the, the fastest, something falls on her, like right before they could even say anything. <laughs> that would have been fucking And this classic. is Brad. It looks like he had a heart attack. Oh, oh fuck. God. Everybody's dead. <laughs> and Jon Snow's already dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that that pretty much wraps up my notes that's the uh, end of my notes too yeah it's i mean we've covered pretty much everything else in yeah. detail so i think we're good all right Sweet. killer so uh 
Stick with us, guys. We'll be right back after a short break. That's a recording I did way back in high school covering Little Wing by Jimi Hendrix. Thought you guys might dig that. And we're back with news about Game of Thrones. First, from MarieClaire.com, Game of Thrones prequel details revealed by George R.R. Martin by Catherine J. Igo. We've already been grabbing at any and all hints for Game of Thrones Season 8, which apparently will be, quote, bittersweet and, quote, brutal all at the same time. Now, George R.R. Martin is delivering a few more details about the prequel, and they're pretty surprising. Obviously, if you'd rather stay totally ignorant about anything GOT related, stop reading now and just keep waiting until 2019 for the final season. R.R. Martin just talked to Entertainment Weekly about the prequel, which might be called The Long Night. It's set 5,000 years before the current series, which means no dragons. Martin explained, Westeros is a different place. There's no King's Landing. There's no Iron Throne. There are no Targaryens. Mm. Valeria is hardly begun to yet rise with its dragons and its great empire that it built we are dealing with a different older world and hopefully one that will be uh that will be part of the fun series we already know that the prequel will star naomi watts but we don't have many details beyond that the showrunner is jane goldman who recently wrote the screenplay (laughs) the screenplay for two kingsman movies According to Martin, the story generally, quote, chronicles the world's descent from the golden age of heroes into its darkest hour. And only one thing is for sure. From the horrifying secrets of Westeros' history to the true origin of the White Walkers, the mysteries of the East, to the Starks of legend, it's not the story we think we know. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. So exciting. That's great. Man. That sounds exciting, man. I love uh, love stuff like that. Like, not to go on like a walking dead tangent on here or anything like that but I, like, <laughs> I know i mean where with no spoilers at all i just love that there's things going on like in the current season this new season yeah that like oh i'm a comic reader i know this i you know i'm caught up on this this and this and this and then but wait whoa <laughs> i mean they've always had that with like things like daryl existing in the show but not right, existing right. in comic two parallel universes a, with like different things yeah, a lot of things that's happened this season that I'm like, I can't wait to see what they do with this because there's no possible way for it to be comic. Right. So yeah. things like that excite me. And something like this is just like that. It's like, you know, other than like, you know, the the history books and stuff like that have them been written, which kind of just give you really a deep outline. It's going to be kind of nice to see like a whole new perspective of this planet and it's like an outline after thousands of years of playing telephone like we really have no idea 
what right. actually happened. We're just reading what Maesters wrote thousands of years later, <laughs> which exactly. could be completely wrong. And yep. uh, yeah, it's and speaking of that, like whole parallel universes thing where some things happen on the TV show, some things happen in the books. It's very similar with Game of Thrones, which is another drawing yep. factor. Um, getting to experience two different parallel universes that are both equally like amazing and awesome. Yeah, it's definitely. Very cool. Next, from warwickdailynews.com.au. Stars who turned down Game of Thrones. Imagine turning down a role on the show that goes to become one of the biggest and most popular shows of all time. You'd be kicking yourself, wouldn't you? Well, let's talk about Lily Allen. <laughs> First up. Uh... The Not Fair singer claimed during a Reddit Ask Me Anything session that she was offered the role of Queen Yara Greyjoy on Game of Thrones, but she allegedly turned it down because of some uncomfortable scenes that she'd have to film with her brother, Alfie, who plays Theon. And I did not know that. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't listen to her, though, so I guess, I mean, that wouldn't... Anyway. uh, She said... They asked me if I'd be interested in playing Theon's sister, the singer wrote. <laughs> I felt uncomfortable because I would have to get on uh, I would have had to go on a horse and he would have had to touch me up and, and shit. <laughs> once once they told me what it entailed, I said, No thanks. Lily claimed she was quickly shot uh, uh, Lily's claim was quickly shot down by her brother, who told Vulture the singer was peddling porky pies. <laughs> He said, I heard about the cameo offer, Alfie said. Um, The only thing I'm going to say on that is that it's not true. Also, that Gemma Whalen, oh, she's so pretty, (laughs) uh, was always the first choice for the part. And she's fantastic. And she's the only thing I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. That, I can't believe they would even ask her to like do that type of shit with her brother. That's you know, so I'm, I'm, t- I'm tending to like, I'm inclined to agree with Alfie that it probably never happened. Yeah. So what kind of, what kind of a uh, phone call happened after all that hit the press? Oh my God. Wonder, that right? would have been awkward. Why did you say that stuff? I mean, you're, you're selling records. Can you just leave me in my TV show alone? <laughs> don't make people think about us having incest on TV. Yeah. For real. All right. So, the next one, Jillian Anderson, the oh, X Files. <laughs> you love those redheads, man. It's your thing. Uh, the uh, the X Files star was in her daughter's bad books after politely declining a role in Game of Thrones. It's not known what role she was offered, but Anderson felt the show was too much of a time commitment. My 18 year old cannot believe that I would turn down Game of Thrones, Downton Abbey. Things she loves to watch, Anderson told the Daily Mail in 2013. But if I'm going to be spending that amount of time working on something, I would rather be working with a director like Martin Scorsese. I guess if you're Jillian Anderson, you can pick and choose your projects, but (laughs) don't poo-poo all over Game of Thrones. Right? (laughs) So let's let's ponder here. I mean, imagine Jillian Anderson or somebody like that, a Cersei. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't even know. I was thinking maybe because she has red hair that she was going to go be cast as Catelyn Stark. Mm. That would have been a hot Catelyn Stark. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> I'm thinking Daisy Mormont. Oh. I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, the silence after when my comment was exactly what I was going for. <laughs> Ray Stevenson, the Irish actor, revealed to Movies.com that he passed on Game of Thrones because they didn't offer him a role until the show had already been on TV for a few years. I was offered a role, he said in 2015. I would rather have been cast at the beginning. It's just that coming into a show now, I think it's wonderful, but it would, but it's not something I would come into at this point. I don't know if I would add anything at this stage. I was offered a four to six month stint. The show was just too far down the line for me. Having already been seen at the beginning, I would rather have been involved in the growth of the show, even though everyone gets bumped off left and right and center. It's interesting. Just so you guys know who Ray Stevenson is, he is an awesome actor. I'm a big fan of his. He played the Punisher in uh, uh, like Punisher oh, Two yeah. after Thomas Jane. Um, he he played. He was in Dexter in like season six. He showed up late for that show. What you couldn't show up late for Game of Thrones. He played a, a Florida like mob boss or like yeah, um, yeah like what was it like a European gangster kind of guy. Always yep. dressed super sharp. That was a great role for him. He also plays one of Thor's comrades in Thor Ragnarok and uh, Thor The Dark World. Uh, maybe all three of the Thors, actually. But he's he's the big bearded guy. One of Thor's companions is like sidekicks. Really cool, uh, like really great actor. He also played Titus Polo in the TV show uh, Rome on HBO. Which also oh, had yeah. uh, Karen. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, Karen Hines played uh, Julius Caesar in that show. Also, for instance, great show. Um, yeah, Ray Stevenson, great actor. Highly recommend looking at his work. Too bad he wasn't on Game of Thrones. He would have been fucking perfect for Game of Thrones, man. Yeah, he really would. Yeah, he would have been good. Damn. Maybe he'll get involved with the Long Night. He could get inv- involved right from the start of that, and it would be what he wanted there you for go. Game of Thrones. Perfect. And uh, Johnny, you got a news story you want to talk to? Yeah, let talk it rip, about brother. Two two great universes colliding. Nice. Uh, the uh, the show slated called The Mandalorian, which is going to be uh, a Disney original uh, TV series uh, set for the Star Wars universe. First oh, I didn't live action this was a one. TV series. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, uh, nice. And it's uh, John Favreau who directed Iron Man singles and has been in as happy, um, <laughs> but. The reason why we bring it up to be relevant here is Pedro Pascal has been casted for the lead. Oh, yeah. Which is awesome because this thing is supposed to be uh, set, I think it's like three years after Return of the Jedi. So he's going to follow in the footsteps of, you know, Jango Fett and Boba Fett. So I'm not saying if he's going to be a Fett or not. What I'm saying is he's going to be the next great live action Mandalorian. So that's gonna be really really yes, cool dude. wow I mean, it, yeah and it's it's got a massive i think it's like a hundred million dollar budget it's freaking it's it uh it, it's it's up there do um, you guys saw I'm, suicide squad i mean rogue one right <laughs> right um, they had like sort of wannabe pedro pascal playing uh the the bounty hunter in that right oh yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. so but that's the thing. So supposedly all we know right now is uh, uh, after the stories of Jango and Boba Fett, another warrior is going to emerge in the Star Wars universe. Yes. The Mandalorian is set after the fall of the Empire. 
oh, that's basically that's so cool. the the instead of you know like Django was the the prequel uh, Mandalorian, so this will be the sequel Mandalorian essentially. Dude. Uh, but That's this so is before cool. the emergence of the First Order and all that. And he's supposed to be like a lone gunman, so it's going to be like a Western kind of feel. I, I'm so stoked, man. When they cast it, when they, when they said it's going to be eight episodes, um, and that he was casted, and it was hilarious because all the news came out about the time I was getting ready to watch for all of this. So it was just like perfect timing. So the character, um, the bounty hunter figure that Django and Boba Fett both play, um, this, this type of character is called a Mandalorian. Yeah, so they're they're from the uh, the the system Mandalore. Oh, okay, and, gotcha. Yeah, I mean technically, I mean we get real technically. Um, <laughs> Gliven. Yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, Django and Bova are not actual Mandalorians. They just kind of like don the armor and the traits, but they're not actually from the uh, the the tribe of the Mandalores. Is Boba a, a clone of Django? I can't remember. Yes, Boba exactly is a un, is a. Uh, unaltered clone of Django Fett. So nice. he asked he asked the Camonians to basically give him one kid that doesn't have like the juice up serum to make him older quicker like this one just Pedro, be raised organically. Pedro looks like this he could you know he could pass yeah, as a as a fet. Fit yeah fit right in with the way they look. Uh, totally. So I, I'm really stoked. It's supposed to be uh I mean there's no definite timeline set but it is the first like uh live action uh one that we heard about and there's already been another one announced which is uh uh the Cassian Andor guy, the the main male lead from Rogue One, is getting a prequel uh, TV show too. Oh, the uh, like the about... Pedro Pascal wannabe guy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that jokingly, just because yeah. they kind of yeah. look a little bit similar. Yeah, I actually enjoyed that uh, that actor yeah. as well. So that's exciting too. Well, it's funny because you say that you know, and it's like uh, Ray, uh, the the lead chick Jen Erso, like. Leia, um, <laughs> right, right, right. all these people are so similar, like in hair color and stature yep. and the way they hold themselves. It's it's amazing. Like this is the way a Star Wars male and this is a Star Wars female. Like it's crazy. <laughs> but, it's so uh, funny, man. Yeah, yeah I guess while we're here, I mean, uh, I guess I'll just sh- a quick shout out. I mean, I I enjoyed Solo, and my favorite part is Kira, which is the mother of dragons herself. Oh, really? She, I still need yeah. to see it. It's the first Star oh, Wars my, movie dude, I didn't see in theaters since I've been born. There's one part in there, not spoiling anything, but where she she meets and she's talking to Han, and uh, they haven't seen it in a while, and she goes, "You look good," and it's like, "Oh my god, <laughs> that's Daenerys!" Like just the way she held herself and everything. Because when I watched the Terminator movie she was in, I didn't feel like, "Oh my god, that's Daenerys." Right, you know, as right. playing Sarah Connor, but in this, it was like this her character. Posture. You could tell when they were writing her, they were like, "This woman, this oh, woman's got to be her." <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I gotta watch it. Yeah, it's I will. An amazing movie. I can't believe that's I never it. saw it. That's it for the Star Wars minute. All and right, and that uh, <laughs> that wraps up our news as well. And Johnny Stitches, man, he is a Star Wars guy. That guy, yeah. he's got all the like the audio books and everything. Yeah, everything, man. Yeah. My house is littered with it. Fuck yeah. Now let's move on to Game of Thrones and history. <laughs> All right. <laughs> From Forbes by Sarah Bond. Five references to the ancient and late Roman world within Game of Thrones. Although Game of Thrones is loosely set against the backdrop of the Middle Ages, George R. R. Martin drew much inspiration from the ancient and late antique periods of the Greco-Roman history as well. Here are five references to the ancient world that you might just have missed from past and current seasons of the hit show. And we'll cover a few of them. We won't cover all of them. 
Right. So first up, we got uh, the classic architecture and set design. In the season premiere for season seven of Game of Thrones, we got a little insight into the daily dirty work of Sam Tarly at the Citadel. Oh, uh, remember that montage? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like gross stuff. It like had that Fantasia Ugh. style of music, but it was just yes. like gross sound effects <laughs> instead. <laughs> uh, Sam is assigned uh, to serve meals, clean out latrines but longs to work in the library. As a medieval... <laughs> <laughs> as medievalist, Kathleen E. Kennedy... Hey! Is that Whoa. our Kathleen Kennedy from Star Wars? Good uh, question. <laughs> that's a good question. Has pointed, Sam's work uh, at the Citadel seems almost monastic in nature. Nice verbiage. <laughs> but, I would ar- <laughs> but I would argue that the set design for the latrines at the Citadel are inspired by Roman public toilets. Definitely. Yeah, they, definitely, yeah. Uh, this is not the first time that set designers of Game of Thrones have either directly or indirectly used Roman architecture elements. The crypt at... Which palace is that? Um, De- Diocletian. Diocletian. I want to say Dio because I just see Dio and I think of like, <laughs> yeah. James Dio. I'm guessing, but um, <laughs> the crypt at Diocletian's palace and <laughs> it's split in modern day Croatia. 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 <laughs> yeah, man. I'm just, it's, I'm late. I'm like running on barely any sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Uh, was a shooting location for Marine slaves uh, planning for their rebellion. The palace of the late Roman emperor. Diocletian, I think you're right on that. I think it'd be that Diocletian, yeah, probably. Uh, who ruled from 284 to 305 CE, was in fact used as the set for seasons four and five of Game of Thrones. Huh. nice. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It provided a monumental backdrop for Queen Daenerys. Uh, more generally, the descriptions and depictions of the architecture in the series often appear classically inspired by Levesque. Lushvask? How would I say that one? Lushkov. 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 Good potato. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> for instance, points to uh, points to the arena in Marine as being inspired by the Fla- Flavian Amphitheater. Yeah, that's the otherwise, Colosseum. The yeah, Coliseum. otherwise known as the Colosseum. Uh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, there we go. George R. R. Martin himself said that the wall is inspired by Hadrian's Wall uh, in North England. I could see that. And that, is that is that the wall in certain parts when you stand on it? It's like only like two feet above the ground. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we covered that fairly recently. Okay. Hilarious. All right. right. Number three: elite languages. Rome certainly doesn't have the market cornered on the use of elitist languages, but the reputation of Latin as a marker of elevated status strongly resembles the perception of High Valerian in the series. On the show, Daenerys Targaryen's advisor, Missande, noted about the language, the gods could not have devised a more perfect tongue. It is the only proper language for poetry. Mm. Use Mm. of the language is connected to Hout literature 
and refinement, just as Latin continues to be today. It's worth noting that Duolingo offers a course in High Valyrian. It also offers Latin. <laughs> it's true too, because Latin is used for legal terminology and like priests, like high higher ups, like in authorities yep. and religion uh, are well versed in Latin. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it it is like a language of the elite for sure. I took four years of Latin in high school, but I don't remember much of it. <laughs> Although I, I I remember enough to be able to pick out bits of Italian and French and things like that. So that's oh. kind of cool. I used to sing Latin in the choir, but that's about as far as it went. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, same here. Number two, exile or banishment. The use of exile or banishment in order re to remove people from given polis or community was regularly used in ancient Greece and Rome. As Lushkov explains, the problem of what to do with exceptional people who seemed to stand heed and sh head and <laughs> who seemed to stand head and shoulders above everyone else was a persistent dilemma in antiquity. Athenians, in particular, devised a, a system called ostracism that exiled someone from the city for ten years. On Game of Thrones, a person legally exiled from Westeros is usually sent to Essos or to the Wall. Other people, like Tyrion Lannister, flee into exile rather than being given a sentence. Jorah as well. The key here is that Athenians often used ostracism to neutralize tensions within a polis, which is like a city-state, focused on equality, whereas Westeros often uses banishment and exile more like Romans did, either to provide necessary labor or to outcast people deemed a threat. For the rest of the five, go to Forbes.com. Cool. Nice. You guys hear that? Wow. What was that? Ah. Sir Matthew of House Rep. Yet another near miss with the Stark children meeting up as Arya is turned away at the bloody gate, told that Liza is dead, not knowing Sansa is still there. And man, Sansa saved Littlefinger's ass, and he turns around and sells her off to the Boltons. <laughs> the bastard. Well, no longer a bastard, but I was talking about Littlefinger. Anyway, <laughs> and speaking of which, <laughs> speaking of which, Ramsay is up to his old tricks when he flays the surrendered Ironborn after promising safe passage, just as he did when he took Winterfell. That bastard. Thank right. you, Sir Matthew. Always good to hear from you. Always, always good feedback. Mm-hmm. Luke the Low Duke. Nice to see Moat Kalen in the intro for this episode. Probably its only appearance. To be honest, why is it considered an important location is beyond me. We covered that earlier. Mm. Uh, <laughs> is beyond me. Looked like it was a wooden structure in the middle of a swamp. Did I miss something? <laughs> Fantastic scene with Baelish and Sansa. Yes, it was. Uh, he was so worried, but she told such a good tale that was so close to the truth that it worked. Shame she shouldn't have, tra uh, trust Shame she shouldn't have trusted him. Lastly, uh, what was up with all the weird monologues from Tyrion regarding the killing of the Beatles? Maybe there was a super cool metaphor I missed, but it seemed odd right before the awesome battle. Still can't believe Oberyn lost. Yeah. <laughs> Surely, if they both die, it's a draw, right? <laughs> what the fuck happens then? <laughs> the Luke, the Low Duke. 
Yeah, Lo Duke. Thanks, Sir Luke. Thanks, Thanks for writing, so man. Yeah, I saw yeah. your comment um, before we recorded. I, I, yeah, he knows I responded to him on Facebook, but I figured I would mention the strategic significance of Moat Kalen during the episode uh, for anybody right. who had the similar uh, similar thoughts. So thanks, Luke, for bringing that up to us. I learned it when you brought it up, too. I didn't know that either. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Lady Lucy of House Roberts. My thoughts are, I'm not sure who my heart hurts for more, Danny or Jorah. It's Ugh. such a painful scene to watch. <laughs> and I really hate that you think Oberyn will do it, that he'll kill the mountain, and then I can't watch it anymore. <laughs> Sad emoji. You're not alone. True statement. All right, that's our show. Episode 80. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. And our prayers are continuing with the families that are experiencing the loss with the northern and southern california fires our hearts are going out to all of you definitely absolutely yeah sad and we'd also like to thank sir johnny for joining us today archmaester stitches from the luminescent citadel on the siren isle (laughs) yeah yeah so great to have you Appreciate it. It was awesome being on. I love being here. You guys got to help me come up with a good one. I come up with lame ones every week. <laughs> I think I think on one of the voicemails I sent in, I said Grandmaster. So I'm glad we sorted that out. Can only be one Highlander. <laughs> That's me, me, Duncan McLeod. <laughs> Next episode, we'll be covering season four, episode nine, The Watchers on the Wall. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. And guys, holiday season is approaching. And if you'd like to support (gasps) Game of Microphones without spending any extra money, you can. Just go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. And while all of your prices will remain the same, Game of Microphones receives a little finder's fee from Amazon for everything you buy in that session for directing you to their site. It's super easy. Yeah. Doesn't cost you a penny more and makes a huge difference easy. for us. <laughs> for more direct options, you can go to paypal.me slash GOM podcast and patreon.com slash GOM podcast to donate an amount of your choosing or sign up to subscribe. Yeah. There are links to both of those at gameofmicrophones.com. Any little bit helps, and this is uh, this way you can secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones and help ensure we're around and still able to release podcasts even through the long night. And this time, when I'm talking about the long night, I'm talking about the spinoff series. So we want to mm. hang around to keep giving you guys some some uh, weekly entertainment as a fix when you need it, when the show's not on, um, and covering the next spinoffs and everything to come. So. Be yes. Awesome. Definitely. It'll be fun. And uh, this week, we're excited to give a warm thank you to our first supporters on Patreon. So, Yay! Yeah. Huge thank you to Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, and Lady Candace of House Twos. We love you guys and appreciate your patronage. Nice. Yes. Thank you, guys. Yeah. 
and we're working on some more interesting incentives for supporting the show. Let us know what you guys want, and if you have any cool ideas for uh, Patreon incentives, we're open to ideas. We'll see. What, we'll make it happen if we can. Definitely. And if you'd like to call, you can call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. And uh, please give us a like and a rating slash review. After the hiatus... We're also no longer appearing in the search results for Game of Thrones on iTunes. So if you guys could give us a five-star review on iTunes, it would probably help us help bump us back into the search results, and we'd uh, we'd appreciate that. <gasps> Imp slap! Ah! Ah! <laughs> you can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChu, and Steam it. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. We can't create a custom URL on YouTube until we have 100 subscribers. So please subscribe and like as well. Likes, comments, and share are also appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at G-O-M Podcast. And we're on Tumblr at Game of Microphones. And since Johnny's here, we should definitely talk about Sirenicide. Yes. Yeah. Featuring All yours right. truly as Malik Husto. We just had election day in Morston, yeah. Texas. Now the mayor elect. Yeah, <laughs> mayor elect Husto. Boom. I gave a victory yeah. speech that you guys might be interested in hearing, where I call out the uh, the corrupt scum and darkness that are tormenting the the great city of Morston, and I make it clear that I'm coming for you. All right, so Sirenicide is a serialized horror drama, but it is a whole lot more centric. Hopefully hearing me these last few hours, you guys realize I'm a massive fan of Game of Thrones and Star Wars. Um, Actually, a lot more than I am of the horror genre. Um, A personal site, I've actually had three open heart surgeries, three valve transplants, so the name Johnny Stitches, my uh, stage name from my death metal days, stuck into stuck into uh the fiction as we started creating it damn Um, i didn't know that that's hardcore yeah and uh whenever uh i woke up as a child with a big scar on my chest it uh obviously traumatized me and it uh stuck with me because it's not going nowhere actually nowadays i could get it removed but i won't just because now it's more of a pride thing but uh sure can't be johnny stitches without the scars (laughs) but um i don't know how he got these scars the reason I br- I bring that up is there are a lot of you know scary creepy moments in the show. We definitely, uh, if you're into um, creepy pastas or you know the supernatural or things like that, you would get a lot of enjoyment out of it. But I tell people all the time, even if you're anything from like into Star Wars, into Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, and you like just strong character development, this is definitely a serialized show. It's not a it's not an anthology podcast, you know, or yeah, a, a, yeah. like thing like that. So you can actually start with season one, episode one, burn through the first, second, and third seasons. Now our season finale for season three is only in a, less than a month now. It's crazy. I know. But uh, there's vampires, there's werewolves, there's supernatural hauntings, there's renegade cult-like uh, surgeons running amok, and there's the ever-approaching our uh, our 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 dark storm that it's on the horizon uh, called the the anathema and there's very very few 
spots of light it feels like in this world of darkness, but uh, our, our Marilek Malacusto and his compadres Harper Powers and Dr. Laughlin will be raging the war of light into, uh, or the war on the war on darkness, the war on terror, the war on darkness <laughs> uh, in, in the next season for season four. Uh, just for you guys, this is the first time it's really being spoke out there, I guess. But uh, wow. we just finished this past Sunday the uh, writer's room and outline for all the mini episodes leading up to season four and the Ooh. preliminary outline for season four itself. So it's a, it's a, it's been basically it's become my life's work. I ended up discontinuing the band and just getting completely into immersed into writing. I write about 70 to 80 percent of the series depending on the season structure. Uh, my lovely bride writes in, in the series. Um, actually, as well as acting. Yeah, as well. Oh, yeah. We're, well, that's like, you're, you're not even allowed to be in the club if you're not going to actually get on the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, like Amy, uh, she just got finished uh, writing the episode Trinity that comes out uh, two weeks from today, and that will uh, uh, have Mr. Uh, Malacusto in it. That's a really good episode, so... Um, it's where we actually no, not much spoiler, but basically we get to see uh, Malik unite with the other good good souls that are in this dark dark universe. I start so calling the banners. Yeah, so check out Serenicide. All the music and uh, probably eighty percent of the sound effects are done in house. Um, all of the music's done in house, and all of the voice acting is by awesome volunteers like Duncan and uh, some amazing professional voice actors that uh, you know have lent their services to the show or done very awesome at like discount discount rates for just to come on to be a part of a passion project and we've been really fortunate and it's a it's a it's a hellaciously slaughterific good time but at the end of the day it's people step away from it wondering what's going to happen to these characters during this next great storm and it's uh, generated a lot of buzz so yeah lots of great characters Check it out. It's available on every podcast platform. It's on Spotify. It's on TuneIn. It's on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google Play. I mean, you name it, it, it should be there. You can stream it directly from Sirenicide.com and actually look at all. Every episode has its own artwork. So if you actually want to look at the artwork while you listen and see what, what inspired the artwork for the episode, it's there. And uh, we'd love for you to go to Sirenicide. Dot com and check us out. Follow our social media links on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and whatever. And like, subscribe, and do all those great things that we got to do to survive in this day and age as a Definitely. media platform. And thank you so much, Duncan, for letting me come on and talk about one of my favorite, you know, fictional lores out there, which is the you know the Song of Ice and Fire universe. Oh I just man, lo- love speaking with like-minded people like yourself and Rachel and. It's just uh, so cool that everything that you've endured to keep this thing going, and I appreciate it. Oh, man, it's, it's, I appreciate having you here, man. It's a treat to, to get to have you come on the show. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we you guys will dig Sirenicide. So you got time right now to go back, start from episode one, get all cut up before season four comes out, and it's going to be a wild ride. And if you guys like Game of Microphones, you'll get to hear me fighting the darkness in Morston, Texas. Right. Can't wait to listen to it, guys. Oh, Sounds yeah, awesome. you got to check it out. I do. It, I know you say, I think you've said before, like, uh, I got a couple of girls at work that I work with that are very the same way. They won't watch a horror movie. They're not like, like, just, just not there, but they love the thing. 
It's, I it's, love scary movies. I don't love horror movies. Yeah. I, it's you not, know. It, and it's not gratuitous. I mean, for one, it's audio. So, I mean, you can only get so. It's If it's sure. really gr- gratuitous, you got to fact check your imagination at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but, totally. Uh, yeah, it's it's very uh, it's something I guess to give to the listeners. It's not something you want to just listen to once. It definitely sure. it's designed a lot like Game of Thrones and Star Wars. The more times you watch it, the more shit pick up on Whoa. little stuff. Yeah, that's by design. You, you're like I listen to all that, and I'm kind of confused. Then you're right on point. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. I love it. All right, guys, that's our show. Thanks right. for listening. Thanks for being here with us. Looks like very light armor. I like to move around. You could at least wear a helmet. You shouldn't drink before a fight. You learn this during the years in the fighting pits? I always drink before a fight. It could get you killed. It could get me killed. Today is not the day I die. You're going to fight that? I'm going to kill that. He is the biggest man I've ever seen. Size does not matter when you're flat on your back. Thank the gods. Sloth Rachel testing one, two. <laughs> there's Rachel and there's Sloth Rachel. And I know Rachel's out there, but all I can hear right now is Sloth Rachel. <laughs> it's a body snatch. It's She's lying to us, man. It's a body snatcher. Close to Beatles. Yeah. I'm just gonna duck under the water. We'd actually appreciate her testimony unadulterated. Unadulterated, <laughs> yes. Mixing truth with fiction is the best way to uh to lie. Nice. They are sick as fuck. These guys are sick. <laughs> like he's got sores all over his face and his lip. Missing an eye. <laughs> Reek starts like, oh, so this piece of paper says that we can go free if we surrender. <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah, totally. And then it just cuts to him <laughs> flayed open. Oberon's like this. <laughs> yeah, oh, my, oh God. my God. It's literally a perfectly tasty uh, Kroger rotisserie chicken. Who gives a dusty fuck about a bunch of beetles? I love dusty fuck. <laughs> it was kind of foretelling to me because... Oh my goodness, sorry, that startled me. Our water heater just went on. <laughs> um, <laughs> the teeth just clatter down everywhere. Yeah. In the sights of gods and men, we gather to ascertain the guilt or innocence of this... Man, <laughs> Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> uh, <ba-da-da. laughs> yeah, under, under the, the stars. stars. <laughs> I thought it was what the fuck salami. <laughs> <laughs> you had me at what the fuck salami. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Technoclank. <laughs> Gliven. Yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just like gross stuff. It like had that Fantasia uh, style of music, but it was just yes. like gross sound effects <laughs> instead. <laughs> I love you guys. I love you too. <laughs> you guys are so <laughs> super. I mean, it's... All right. <laughs>